Welcome to Kilts and Culture with USA Kilts. We're here to talk about all things Highland dress, the cultures and the heritage that created it, and how to enjoy the kilt in the 21st century. From tartan and trues to haggis and history, we cover it all. So sit back, grab your beverage of choice, and enjoy the show. Welcome to USA Kilts, <laughs> Kilts and Culture Q&A. I'm Eric. This I'm is Rocky. Rocky. Yes. And we're here to answer your questions. Absolutely. But first. That felt weird now. I know. You That's why I did it. I know. I did it just to try to kind of now, change it Now up I'm all thrown up. off. Today, <laughs> we have a special treat. In honor of our new Viking product line, we are going to go a Viking with a special try, which is, Rocky, will you do the reveal, please? Highland Park Scotch. This is a scotch from the Orkney Islands. They are very, very heavily leaned into their Viking heritage. Um, that is all their marketing stuff is all Viking rah even, rah. Even more so now. They've yes. really leaned yeah, into yeah, it heavily. Yeah, yeah. It's, they've been around for quite a long time. Um, they weren't as, like the last bottle I had, which was from several years ago, wasn't quite as straight up Viking as this is um, with all the Viking marketing. So we're going to try the scotch, and we're going to talk about their marketing a little bit. Yeah. yeah, we figure what the heck, because we just uh, we just brought out a line of uh, kilt pins and a buckle and sporns, which we decided to put on Yeah, for the show. You know, a little bit of self-promotion, can't, couldn't help it. And uh, yeah, it just seemed like an opportune, yes, and t-shirts. Yep. It seemed like an opportune time to do it. Yes. All right. So, without further ado, let's get to drinking. There you go. All right. It's a very Viking if thing you to would. Do. Exactly, yes. All right, now the oft sought after, the highly coveted, the beautiful USA Kilts Scotch glasses. Mm -hmm. One and two. And for those wondering, Mac has his scotch behind the camera as well. Yep, Mac is with us. Um, he is pre-poured, but for the movie Magic. It's too oh, slow. It's, oh, it's oh, backwards. It's backwards, okay, okay, okay. Oh, boom. Well, the box is backwards. I didn't, I didn't pack it, you packed it. Okay. I cocked the back, cocked the box backwards as <laughs> I handed it. One of those days, folks. Yes. Okay. Here, I'm gonna let you do the pouring. Okay. Though. The uh, uh, the bottle itself is actually pretty awesome as far as Scotch yeah. bottles go. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, it is. Uh, it's glass bottle, obviously, but it's like it has raised. I don't know how well you can see this. It actually has raised panels, or not panels, but raised relief. Relief, but it's not relief. It's raised. But, um, yeah. The opposite, of, the opposite of relief, raised like, you know, Viking knotwork and all that kind of stuff. It has a logo on there. It's actually pretty cool. Mm -hmm. If you collect scotch bottles, um, I know some people do, I would, this was this would be one that I would collect just for the cool factor. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. And if you're like me and you'd recycle it as a mead bottle. But it's funny, the uh, similar styles on the box, they're using um, a later runestone and stave church uh, design. It's called Yelling, I think. Um, basically 10th or 12th century. It's one of the latest Viking art styles. Uh, those of you who know better than I, correct me, as usual, but uh, it's the the more twisty it gets, the, the later in history, uh, or more recent in history it is, basically. The, the fancier stuff is actually usually Let's, before towards the you, end of the Viking era. Before you put this away, we'll read a bit of the uh, uh, the, the, the notes on the back, you know, the, the cheat sheet for the person in the store. Um, intensely balanced single malt scotch whiskey, Perfect harmony of aromatic smoky peat and the flavors of sweet heather honey. Mm. And rich fruitcake, smooth, full, and rounded. 
It's a whiskey that truly stands apart. Mm. Um, not a lot of heather on the Orkneys, is there? Uh, I if, I there's not a lot of like smoky peaty scotches coming from the Orkneys outside. Like, yeah. that's more yeah. the Isla thing, but they may have just tried to to balance it as a yeah. flavor profile. Yeah. Okay. Even though it's not, you know, indicative of an Orkney. I don't know how many scotches are on Orkney, so this might be the only one. Yeah. I'll have to look at that. Who knows? At Mac, what did you find out about the company? Uh, let's see. So. Thank you. I think Rocky pretty much summarizes it already as far as uh, what the company is here. Um, they are from the Orkneys, as Rocky did say. Um, Mac, if you want, pour a little bit of water in just to open it up. Yep, gotcha. Like a tablespoon or so. Like a tablespoon or so. so it says right on their <coughs> on their page, Our whiskey, like our island home, is, is shaped by the wild climate and stormy seas and by the Vikings who settled here over a thousand years ago, mm-hmm. leaving their mark on our people and our culture. True that. Okay. Indeed. All right. Okay. So without further ado, <clears throat> here's We Shall Try Highland Park Scotch. Let's go. Well, I definitely get the honey thing. Yeah. It is very sweet tasting, especially yeah. coming from Iowa stuff. It's very sweet. Yeah, it's I, I'd still get the uh, the smokiness and peatiness on it. Smokiness. It's, yeah, it's it's much more toned down though. It's not as in your face. It's not like a house on fire, you know, like like we said. Mm. It's it's still more than most, <clears throat> more than like a, a regular Highland Scotch or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I, I I definitely feel the, the the honey. Yeah, the honey. I think the honey almost hits you first. Yeah, you, th- you yeah. agree? Yeah. Oh yeah. That's... Yeah, I think the honey is the is the most prominent um, part of the part of the flavor. I'll say this: it tastes a little bit different with the with the water. Oh, you've had it straight yeah. up. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's kind of that's why you put a little water. Yeah. In your usually, scotch. I drink mm-hmm. neat. Um, not that I'm a snob or something. I just usually just don't have distilled water right there or you know, purified water. I think a lot of snobs would tell you you have to have it with water, too. It's just like everything Scottish. You know, it's there's going to be five thing. different opinions on it. But. Of course. You put two Scots in the room, you get three opinions. <clears throat> exactly. The um, uh, There's a bit of a contentious thing about it for, you know, either you do or you don't. Or, you know, no, that's how it was. You came out of the bottle. That's how you should have it. You know, kind of thought mm-hmm. process versus, no, it opens it up and it kind of blends it. And, you know. Mm-hmm. I do like it. Yeah. I do like it. So let me, hand me the box back. I, wanna, I mm-hmm. think when you get uh, when I added a little bit of water to this one now, the when I opened it when I added the water, I get a little bit more of the orange flavor that it has in it as well. I'm, I'm noting that. Say like a citrus note? Yeah, there's a, a Seville oranges are as part of the flavors. Seville orange. Okay, okay. Ooh, yeah, honey uh, heather, Seville, rich fruit Sevilla. cake, winter spice, uh, winter spices, uh, Seville oranges, um, mm-hmm. and the, the smoky peat. And it, it says on their website to try this with venison or uh, chocolate sure. ginger biscuits. Chocolate soft, ginger biscuits. I, I got those. I got those at the convenience store. Exactly. Yeah, those are easy. Uh, soft cheeses such as French brie. And yes. they're even saying to try it with Japanese sushi or wasabi. I think it would overpower sushi. Well, if you, I yeah, know. I guess you could. With yeah. the wasabi. No, I could see it. I could see it with sushi, but um, well, I'd have another drink as well. Because when I think of Vikings, I obviously think of, you know. <laughs> I'd need a lot of. <laughs> Viking sushi is not for the faint of heart. 
<laughs> um, there's this thing from Iceland called Hickarl, which is basically pickled Greenland shark. Uh, and it basically tastes like urine. Sounds because, delicious. Because you have to, it is filled with uric acid. Because that's how the, that's like antifreeze for fish that live in the Arctic. Right. And right. in order to make it edible, they have to take the shark and basically put it on these pressing racks and kind of let it ferment and pickle over the winter. Just to get out enough of the uric acid so that it's actually not going to kill you. And the result is something that you can eat because you're in Iceland and you don't have a lot of options. But it is horrible. So yeah. when we do the Facebook Live try of yeah. that, yeah. I will be absent that day. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm certainly feeling a, a cold. You're not, a true, you're not a true Norseman. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> Speaking of that, they, these guys really are trying to, they're really playing into the whole you know Norse ancestry thing. So the, the oh, side yeah. of the box says, I am a reflection of my ancestors and their values. I keep them close and continue to learn to pass on those values to future generations. My name is all I truly have left. Let it be a legacy of honor. And that's actually legit Viking thought. So yeah, yeah they're 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 sincere. They're sincere about it. Well, they're but, sincere in their marketing of it. Mm-hmm. At yeah. minimum. But they did they must have, they did some homework to come up with Oh that, yeah, yeah. No, I don't think that they didn't do homework. Yeah. It's just a matter of are they the cynical me is saying, are they leaning into it because the Viking thing is it's very popular hot right, right now, now mm -hmm. or are they leaning into it because that's who they are and they're just you know more? I think it's a bit of both. Yeah, I think I think they I think they've always had the heritage. Like you said, Mac, you said that like uh, a couple of the guys on their website are listed as being actual ancestors of or descendants of uh, like yes, original yeah. settlers and stuff like that. Yeah, so. the one gentleman was like thirty second great grandfather was like the first lord of of Orkney. Okay. But so, is it the tail wagging the dog? Is it you know them? I, I think they re when 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 the Viking thing came back into vogue the last few years. I think they probably just realized, hey, this is tailor made for us to yeah, because you it, know to, to jump on. The way I'm so. thinking about like they're obviously very proud of Orkney. All all the Scotches are very proud of where they're from. Yeah, on in, in Scotland. Um, the the question is, would they have named it Highland Park? Yeah, no. I if think it was name, made today, yeah, like are they stuck with the name because that's what they have? Um, yeah. So yeah. that's that's my, like, Highland Park to me doesn't say, you know, Viking. Right, um, right. Yeah, the name probably goes back quite a ways. I don't know if Mac found that or not. But yeah, the, uh, to me, it's more like, you know, the, the, the open, the hills and the glens, the mm -hmm. you know, the water running mm -hmm. through a fresh, you know, wide open park, you know, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, it sounds like it should be like, uh, <clears throat> you know, a glen. Yeah. You know, Monarch of the Glen kind of vibe, kind of like, you know, Highland Park. It's like, you know, a, a nature reserve is what comes yeah. to mind. yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, you know, Orkneys and everything, you think it, they, you think they lean into a name like you know, Orkneya or you know, like uh, you know, yeah. Yelling Dragon, Yelling Dragon, Scotch. I don't know. It doesn't work though, you know. <laughs> I'm picturing a Yelling Dragon is like ah, like a high pitched shrill. Yeah, it's different. Yelling is a is a region, as I recall. But okay. I don't know. It's cool, but yeah. I, if you want to celebrate product releases this way. More often, I'm all for it. Sure, I'm all sure. for it. Yeah. Yes. Okay. The um, so how do we feel about their marketing? I think the marketing is actually pretty. I'm biased, obviously, because I'm into this stuff. But the um, I think they did a good job. I think it's cool. I mean, it's it's not the horned helmets, you know, orky 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 kind of. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's a Swedish chef <laughs> does scotch, or even or even Uphelia, which is everybody loves yeah, that yeah. festival. But but the Viking Viking culture of Uphelia festival is really goofy kind of by design 
And this is not that. They are they are actually trying to do it sincere justice. You know, they, yeah. they, they mean it. So they're they're that's I, legit. I will say this, as far as the marketing for scotches go, mm-hmm. they're much more leaning into an agro masculine, you know, testosterone type campaign true, than most true. scotches. Most are more gentlemanly, refined kind of, you know. There's that. Yeah. There's that. So it's got it's more youthful. I yeah. Think you could say. Um, and yeah, I, you don't. Scotch is not really associated with Vikings, obviously. So they're kind of trying to. They are definitely trying to reach into something that allows them to differentiate. But that's a challenge that all of the Scotch. Oh yeah. All the distilleries have. Is especially now there's foreign competition. You know, like the like we've mentioned before how Japanese recently. Yeah, yeah. the Japanese and um, uh, all Aldi markets came out with a, a top award-winning Scotch recently, and it's like twenty five bucks in their supermarket. So I Which think we still have to try. We gotta get. Yeah, we yes, gotta get. Yes, if anyone wants to send us a gift, send me all these scotch. I need to try mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard to get here in Pennsylvania because Pennsylvania has really Stupid weird, laws. antiquated blue laws. But um, but you know what I mean. It's like they're all trying to find a way to differentiate themselves. Yeah. And um, these guys are gonna putting a different twist on it. Well, that's so. kind of my point. Is that yeah. in scotch there there aren't a lot of differentiators. Like there there's okay. not uh, okay. the. The the only the only other one that really jumps out as a different font, a different marketing kind of thing to a degree is like Ardbeg. Um, they have a really cool yeah. original thing, at least the the scotches that I see in the store, which isn't that much. Um, but it's yeah, it's I'd say that they're they're doing a a, a good job. Yeah. Now I'd, I'd say if the if the scotch were bad and they had all this marketing thrown into it, I'd think a lot less of them. To be like all flash, no substance. Fair, but fair. this is this is very nice. This is it's 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 a very well-rounded palette. It's a very well-rounded uh, set of flavors that do complement each other. I yeah. think it's, I think you know they. That I, I was joking about <clears throat> it being intensely balanced. You know, it's like you know we, we're going to balance this intensely, but um, but it, it, legit, it is a nice balance. There's a of lot flavors. of weight on both sides. Yeah, yeah, we're well, going to bounce, bounce the hell out of this. You know, but it's it's um no. In in all seriousness, though, it is a, it is a good scotch. It is very yeah. tasty. So. Now it's. I will say this for their marketing. If I'm a guy going into a store, into a state yeah. store or whatever, it's a liquor store, and I see a bunch of scotches and I don't know what I'm looking for. That's going to stand out. That's going to stand out. Hugely, it's going to stand and out. And yeah. yeah, I'm going to look at it and be like, you know, wow, this is tough. I'm tough. Yeah. Oh, I'm a Viking. Yeah. I could do this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, kind of, you know, man aggro yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what's the price point on this versus... Uh... Like the Lafroig and stuff. I completely forget. Um, I think it's about yeah, one the job, same. Rocky. I know. Buying the scotch, I did it. The um, uh, I want to say it's like sixty-ish. Okay. So it's not like okay. over a hundred, you know, crazy price, but it's not cheap by any stretch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, what? Okay. I I will say it is. I I will get. I will I will give them the the stamp of approval on the intensely balanced yeah. line from an aspect of I can definitely taste the honey it's reasonably yep. intense I can definitely yep. taste the peat and the smoke and that kind of thing mm-hmm. but it is still reasonably balanced yeah I would say if you want to introduce somebody to scotch this would probably be a good starter if you want to introduce them to a a peaty smoky scotch this would be a good starter okay peaty smoky for even less peaty. Yeah, peaty or smoky for anyone, it's kind of an acquired taste, like an IPA, where it's 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 very very specific flavor profile. Mm -hmm. So if they don't like it, 
it would turn them off to all scotch if they think it's all right. going to taste like that. Right, right. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily introduce people to it. Mm-hmm. But if you like Isla scotches and PD stuff, um, then I would definitely try this. From a, it's it's a bl- it's not a blend. It's a, a straight scotch kind of thing. But it's it's it balances the uh, the honey as well as the, mm-hmm. the smoking stuff. Yeah, yeah. Fair. Cool. All right. Scale of one to ten. Mac. Sorry, I'm catching up on all the, the comments that are coming in. Um, <laughs> uh, on a 1 to 10, um, I'm going to go 6. Okay. Six, kind of middle of the road. Okay. okay. Now, you tend to like PD or not PD? It go, I go back and forth. Sometimes okay. it, it, I can just, okay. that. it varies. Okay. Depends on my mood. Depends on the season, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. But Yeah. Winter. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm actually very pleased with this. I'm going to give it a 7.2. Okay. Good score. It's a good score. The nose is a little bit lighter than the taste. You know, I you're right. That. You're right. I was just thinking that, and I, I didn't articulate. It's but not. It, it is not a very strong nose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's 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 a lighter nose, but the, then you swallow it and it punches you in the mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> intense. Like a, like a Viking. Like a balanced, intense <laughs> athlete. Like a gladiator with the big Q-tip things. I don't know. <laughs> so like the like the Viking ship emerging from the fog. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. all about that. Um, remember, Vikings are pirates. The proper term is Norsemen. Vi- to go a Viking is basically to go abroad, to go traveling. So. I'm gonna say seven point eight. Okay. Seven point eight. Okay. It's yeah. it's a I I would definitely uh, if if there's a choice of scotches. I would choose this over many others. Um, so it's good. Yeah. 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 We have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> we are not scotch scotch aficionados. It's like drinking. You know, so, I'll say, you know, one other one other last point, and not to drag it out, but um, too late. The honey profile does make it a little more rep- reminiscent of mead, and mead is very much a Norse Scandinavian Viking thing. So okay. they kind of have a they didn't I'm a little surprised they didn't mention that in their in marketing. The marketing. In well, way, you only have so much room, and you want to be not not you want to be precisely. Yeah, you want to be precise. You want to have intensely balanced BS about your product. Exactly, mm-hmm. intensely shortly balanced. Right. <laughs> Very good. All right, boys and girls, load in your questions. Get down to business. Continue loading them in, and Mac is going to be our reader. What's the? I call him an MC. MC. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mac will be the MC for today, mm-hmm. telling us all. Of your guys' questions, and we also have some prepared questions ready to go. And I have my breath mint and my coffee and my scotch, so I'm, oh, I'm all set. Oh, that kills me every time. I'm gonna make a single drink that has icebreakers mint Ooh. with coffee <laughs> oh. profile, but alcoholic scotch flavor. Nice peaty smoke. It's well yeah. balanced. Intensely balanced. Yo, yeah, pile of vomit that I will have. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Questions. So so far, we've got a lot of people asking about the. The shirt that Rocky's wearing, and the okay. accessories you guys have on the the buckles, sure. the, the sporins, and the kilt. You're able to send them links, I assume. I am. I'm, I'm them loading them yeah. in as, as we. Thank get you the for the interest. We're, yeah. we're like we said before, we're very proud of these. Um, you want to tell the, the story of how these came about? Sure. The here's the disclaimer on this show: we don't like to talk about products too much. We don't want this to be a product. Yeah, we're making kind a big ex- exception today. Yes. The normally what we like doing is just getting your guys' questions that anyone could ask or anyone would find interesting. So 
you know, that way we're adding the most value that we can add or give to the customers or to anyone to the who just wants to watch the videos. Um, that being said, the uh, the Fenrir design, we have a buddy named Doug Cavanaugh, who's actually an artist. He's actually kind of local to us. Mm -hmm. um, he has a company called Celtic Hammer Club, so check them out. Um, he does uh, Nordic as well as Celtic designs. Uh, we were introduced him uh, introduced to him through a friend of ours, and Aiden Crawford. Yes, yep. and the um, uh, he has this is his kind of signature piece is his Fenrir design. So we took that, or we you know with his approval, obviously, um, we did a kilt pin based on that, and we did kind of a whole collection about it. Did a belt buckle, a sporn, or a range of sporns. Yep. Um, we did a T-shirt with it, um, and we kind of collaborated him with him on the designs to kind of give us a you know a, a Viking Nordic kind of line to our offerings. Do you, do you dare try to show your back to the camera, or is that going to be too awkward? I think it's going to be going to be too awkward. Mac yeah. the, the back of the T-shirt is actually more impressive than the front. Yeah. Um, there's a whole Viking shield back there with battle axes, but uh, that was how it started was with with that. And then uh, we realized we had something cool there, which spoke to a large percentage of our audience. So, um, yeah, kind of rolled with it. And uh, there's, as you you guys already know, there's a lot of Nordic influence in Scottish and Irish culture. Um, more evidence of that coming out every day. I just heard uh, there's a new study in Ireland saying that the DNA profile in Ireland is even closer and more related to the Scandinavian DNA than they had previously suspected. Hmm. So yeah, because you know they founded Dublin, and you had all this intermarriage between the cultures and all that kind of stuff. But um, but yeah, so basically intermarriage. His, yeah, intermarriage. <laughs> I'm fine being nice. Um, but yeah, the Mjolnir Kilpin was, I think, the first one we did, right? We did the Mjolnir Kilpin as well yep. as the Fenrir Kilpin simultaneously. About the same time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we came out with them first, and it was we just wanted to really test the waters and see you know what the reaction was going to be to this stuff um, because you know I'm not Nordic. I'm not pagan i'm not you know i'm just a guy who likes cool stuff what do pagans have to do with it what well, are you talking about you know the but it's the or yeah <laughs> i'm tired <laughs> leave me alone i've had scotch now right on. um okay the um yeah but it's i just like cool designs um so i figured if i like a design well enough to want to do it other people will like it too mm -hmm. so we kind of tested the water with this stuff and it kind of went off from there yeah so and then we had uh, our sworn maker in scotland was kind enough to help us uh, take the designs and figure out a way of etching them onto uh, some of our more popular uh, Dayspawn templates that we use, basically. So, because it's really nice, solid, easy to wear design. It's got a lot of, it's quite capacious, as they say. Oh, and, and, and I don't know if I'll show up on camera, but the design continues under the flap. Yep. So you have a couple of, couple of guys with drinking horns, you know, Toasty. raising the horn. Yep. So, yeah. Cool. All right. That's enough product placement. That's more than enough. Yes. That's more than enough. Agreed. Apologies to anybody who is annoyed by that. Yep. Okay. Mr. Mac, question right. number two. So we have Cameron asking us about Flash's versus Rocky's favorite garter ties. Mm. Which is more traditional and thoughts on the crazy fringed wool flashes? Crazy fringed, fringed ones? I've seen wool. them. Crazy thoughts on, on I don't fringed remember. wool flashes. I think it's like one manufacturer or somebody who's, who's making them. I think. I oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. The <clears throat> flashes, which are little flag things that help hold the socks up, um, garters effectively. The originally, I'll say it that way, um, were kind of garter ties. Just basically the yep. strips of fabric that you wrap around your legs, tie it, oddly enough, and it helped hold the socks up. And then you flip the socks down on top and you have, you're left with the two little ends dangling down. Mm -hmm. Flashes are kind of a throwback to that. Um, the Where Mac is talking about the fringing aspect, 
basically flashes traditionally or traditionally um, have a chevron cut, a, a V notch in the bottom of the flashes, the little flags. So what ends up happening is since they're made of wool and you are cutting them and not actually sewing the, the ends, they kind of fray a little bit over time. Um, there are specific manufacturers or at least at least two that I know of that actually like cut straight across the bottom and then fringe them a little bit. That way it looks like it's done on purpose. They just kind of lean into it. Huh? Yeah, they lean yeah. into it. They say, okay, if it's going to fringe anyway, screw it. Let's just fringe a little bit down the bottom. Boom, done. Um, and then that's why it looks like it was supposed to be done like that. Um, garter ties have the same kind of thing where there's just a lot of little dangly fringe bits. Um, I'm not a huge fan of it. My employees are trying to uh, get me to carry the garter ties <laughs> in the store. That's what Max joke is. Um, but yes, you can wear any of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, um, the guard ties are basically the modern flashes, what we consider flashes, um, are elastic band sock garters with the flashing being the, the little decorative flags like Rocky was talking about. And they go back to may maybe about 100 years or so. Um, and they're probably military in origin. As far, as far as I've been able to tell, it was basically something that was developed by the military as an efficiency. You know, basically make sure that guys looked regimental and their kill host stayed up and it looked guaranteed uniform. Um, guard ties are um, ancient technology, uh, basically going back to like tablet woven bands that, that people used in all parts of Europe really to hold up their hose or to hold up their, their socks. And when I say hose, I mean like hosen, you know, the, the leggings that they wore in the Middle Ages. And by the 17th, 18th, early 19th century, the Scots, of course, were using them to hold up their kilt hose. So it's a... Uh, how, how, how much that is a, a tradition that you have to consider is kind of irrelevant. They've kind of come back into vogue in some ways. Um, they've always kind of been there for shooting socks, which is a non-kilt thing the Downton for the Abbey most part. Effect. It is partly the Downton Abbey effect. Although I would say that even back in that time period, which is like like 19-teens to 1920s, I think they were probably still in the flashes phase more than ties. I'd have to look at photography to be sure. But... Um, it's, it's uh, like I said, though, it's something that has continued in sporting mm -hmm. socks for yeah. time immemorial. That's what I'm thinking so. as far as the Downton Abbey thing, because they were, you know, they right. weren't wearing kilts right. in the show, but they were wearing tweed and plus fours and plus twos. And, true, know. true, true, true. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, um, I think the, uh, the guard ties are comfortable. I do like them. Um, they're not necessarily as guaranteed to, to stay in place as, you know, an elastic garter with a clip. Um, but it's, uh, but they're fun. So yeah. I would say, you know, like I say with everything, because that's how I go, is it's fun to have both, you know, play with them for different yeah, looks. That's a fair point. There's, it's yeah. They're not a major investment. Um, the uh, garter ties are going to be 20 to 30 bucks, that kind of range. Flashes are going to be about the same. So it's one of those things where buy a couple and see what you like and, you know, yeah. whichever you end up on, great. You have options. Yeah, I would say the, the, the ties look more organic, whereas the modern flashes look more crisp. You can play with it that way. Does that make sense? It's fair. Yeah. yeah. Unless you fringe them. <laughs> yeah, there's that. Mr. Mack. All right. Tim is, we'll stay in the, in the shoe foot region here. Uh, Tim is uh, asking, uh, can you recommend a good shoe for casual for casual look, like wearing a polo shirt, uh, and hose or no hose? The, for, for a polo, um, I think of it kind of as like, uh, Casual business, or what's the what's the word? Oh, like casual Friday, or business, yeah, casual business Friday. casual. Business casual. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
business casual if you're <clears throat> if you would normally wear like slacks at the business then i'd say yeah probably hose and maybe a pair of you know uh dockers or not dockers um like wingtips or something like that um with a polo shirt if you would wear shorts then i'd say you could get a little bit more casual like uh cotton crew socks and a pair of like solid color shoes when i first started wearing kilts i was more on the casual end and i would always wear skate shoes like vans or etnies and brands like that because a lot of times their style for skate shoes was very very plain um currently my my current favorite company i'll give a plug is a company called Allbirds A L L B I R D S um where they have merino wool or like a recycled tree fiber you know some hippy dippy hmm. wifty farkle thing but huh. they're very very simple shoes so i kind of dig them um and they don't compete with the rest of the outfit a lot of times you'll hear us talking about wearing you know nike's or new balance yeah. or like shoes with like lines everywhere yeah. and you know multicolors and that kind of thing i am not a fan of that i like more solid color single color maybe two color if it's black and gray or black and white for the shoe wear um yeah yeah that's kind of where i would go with it um so if i'm you know in a t-shirt or a polo and it's going to be warm don't wear kilt just wear cotton crew socks and a simple pair of sneakers be comfortable if it's going to be coolish or you're going to be indoors where there's air conditioning then kilt hose and a pair of you know wingtips is fine yeah yeah pretty much and uh yeah just uh walking shoes you know the, the, the main point is you don't want the shoes to detract from the kilt the kilt is the main point of attention for the outfit so keep it blacks and browns simple you know or grays like you said with that uh the one pair of shoes yeah tone yeah. within the the outfit yeah. yeah, yeah. If you're worried about it that much, but obviously, if the more <coughs> casual the occasion is, the less you need to worry about it anyway. Agreed. Yeah. Be comfortable. Exactly. Mr. Mac. All right. So we have James. Since we're on 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 kilt hose here, James is asking us. Since we're talking about socks and, and hose, um, what about uh, shooting socks? Mm -hmm. He's been looking at getting some. What are your thoughts on them being used as kilt hose? Yeah. Um, the thing I've, we've, I've worn shooting socks, I wear shooting socks as kilt hose. Uh, yeah. The one company that we carry, House Achieviate, um, actually does mostly shooting socks, then they happen to kind of back their way into kilt hose. The, what I'd say about shooting socks that I've noticed is A, they're a little bit longer than kilt hose by about an inch and a half or so. Um, okay. So they go, tend to go up your leg a little bit more. And B, they seem to be a little bit more uh, not grippy, but like elastic-y, you know, kind of around the top. They're a little bit okay. more, you know, constricting on the top of the calf. Hmm. I don't think you, you... No, I guess you are garter ties with them, but you don't Typically, really yeah. like flashes. Yeah. No. So that may be why. Um, or uh, do you, you tuck your pants into them, right? Or, I'm not completely sure on that. I think it depends, think it depends on, what, on what you're what wearing. What type of pant you're wearing. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, if it, if it looks like a kilt hose and quacks like a kilt hose it's kilt hose <laughs> um uh the uh but yeah if it's there's certain things that in my humble opinion or my estimation are close enough and you won't be able to tell the difference shooting socks depending on the pattern or the you know the vertical stripes in it or something weird like that if it's you know, barring those things uh, kilt or uh, shooting socks would work as kilt hose rugby socks People can try to make them work. 
to varying degrees of success. Um, I don't think they look nearly as good, but people would use those. I wouldn't. Um, it's to me. It's always my my grandfather, who was not very uh, not a very handy guy, uh, but my grandfather would say the right tool for the right job. So rugby socks socks are great for rugby, but they're okay for wearing with kiltos. It's kind of like chiseling with a with a flathead screwdriver. It can be done, but it's not a chisel. Okay. Sorry, I'm the king of analogies. Yeah, for, no, I like for that. people I outside like the company, I do like okay. my analogies. Okay, that works. Yeah, okay. I don't disagree. Any any other no. thoughts? No, I think you summed it up. I think a lot of shooting socks are almost uh, indistinguishable from kiltos. Yeah, so. that's why multiple you know companies that sell shooting socks also sell kiltos. It's really not that different. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Any more, Mr. Mack. All right. So we have Jason asking. He normally wears utility kilts. And he's wanting something more traditional. Okay. He's traced his roots back to a clan origin, and he's asking what's a good way to get into a traditional kilt, and where's a good place to start? <laughs> um, this is this is us not being egocentric, yes. product-heavy people. Um, yes. We're not doing a sales pitch here. There's this great company in Spring City, Pennsylvania. I can tell you all about them. Um, Usa Kilts, right? Yes, Usa, Usa Kilts, Kilts, exactly. Yeah, Wonderful yeah, brand. Yeah. The um, uh, the it depends on what you want to do. Um, I can only speak to us, so I apologize for being product heavy in this answer. Um, if you're just going to wear it kind of casually, then there are well, I'll, I'll kind of give you the big, the big umbrella. There are other companies as well that do inexpensive casual type kilts. To varying degrees of success and varying countries of origin. Um, if having something made in America or made in Scotland is something to you, be aware that there are many kilt companies that offer things that aren't made there, made in Pakistan, made in China, that kind of thing. Um, not that there's anything wrong with it, it's just a fact. Um, for If you're looking for casual, then a casual type kilt you can get for 100 bucks-ish. Um, we, as you move up our scale, have our semi-traditional kilt, which is still the machine washable fabric, but it looks a little bit more like a traditional kilt. And then there's wool kilts, you know, our five-yard wool or eight-yard wool kilts. And different companies have differing levels of quality, levels of attention to detail, that kind of thing. So no matter who you buy from, do your research on the company mm -hmm. and make sure you read reviews and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I basically say... Yeah, think about the events or the occasions where you want to wear it. If you are a serial kilter, like you really like to kilt up all the time, then um, you might want to start with something that's more rough and tumble, kind of like similar to your utility kilts, aka a lower end, uh, easy to wash fabric like the polyviscos, which is what we carry. Um, if you want it for special occasions, then you might want to save up and do something like a five yard wool because you're going to do the utility kilts most of the time, but when it's a special event, you're a special date night, you want to really put on the dog so you go with the wool because wool just looks nicer and it feels nicer. Um, it could be a seasonal approach. Some people like the PV for summer hot weather and the wool for the winter. So that's an, another way to break it down. But uh, I would say since you're already used to wearing kilts, decide on, it's not like you have to break into kilts in general and you have to be worried about, oh, am I going to actually wear this if I buy it? Am I really going to, am I really ready to do this? You're already wearing utility kilts, so you don't have that hurdle to get over. I would say um, think about where and when you want to wear it and what your budget is. Um, personally, I would recommend, um, 
again, speaking to our procs, because that's what I know, um, I consider doing starting with like a semi-traditional kilt, because it's not a huge investment. It's machine washable, it's good for hot weather, um, and there's a large percentage of tartans in it. Now, if you want to be very specific about the clan tartan you're wearing, you may find that it's only available in wool and not in PB. There's only like 100, 120 tartans in polyviscose, whereas for wool, it's all there. So that might be a factor in your thinking. Um, but that's, that's basically it. You don't have to spend a lot of money, but I think you may decide you want to spend a fair amount of money because this is a special thing as opposed to a daily wear thing, perhaps. The, uh, the only other thing I might mention, though, is that be prepared for the fact that a traditional kilt is going to fit on your body differently than your utility kilt. It's not going to be down around your hips. It's going to be up around your navel. Um, don't try and trust your old utility kilt measurements when you're ordering a traditional kilt. Take fresh measurements, whether it's our measuring guide or some other provider's measuring guide. Make sure you're very accurate with that. It's a much more form-fitted garment. You're going to look better in it, but uh, you don't want to try and trust your old utility kilt measurements yeah. before you get a, tr a trad kilt, because they are different. Yeah, and I, I, would, I would even go so far as, say, or as, as to say, um, if you're wearing it regularly, utility kilts or otherwise, and you think you want to get into wearing a traditional kilt or wearing a tartan kilt, I'll put it, you know, the whole thing mm -hmm. in that, you know, under that heading, yeah, yeah. tartan kilt, then if you're going to want to wear, you don't have to stop at like at one. They're like tattoos. They're like chips. You know, you can, you can yeah. have more than one. Um, the, what I generally would say is get a, now taking out the utility kilt aspect for the, for the time being, you are, you're going to have different occasions where you want to wear stuff. So if you're going to be running out to the mall or cutting the grass or whatever, and you want to have on your kilt for ventilation, then a casual kilt would do just fine. And then a wool kilt, save that for the nicer events or for times where you right. want to dress it up a little bit more. That way you have, you know, both ends of the spectrum covered. So in the same way that you wear your UK for, you know, daily grind kind of stuff, you can have a tartan kilt for a similar circumstance sure. than a nicer wool kilt, nicer yeah. tartan wool kilt yeah. for, you know, the nicer stuff. Yeah. Yep. Very good. Probably more information they need. <laughs> we are not short on words. That's for ever. sure. <laughs> or a little bit, just a little yes. long-winded. Yes. Yeah, slightly. That's because of my Nordic ancestry, because we had this tradition of poetry with the skalds, you know, and basically we wrote these incredibly long, complex poems about everything. So, yeah. I just talk a lot. No, that's what it is that. Mr. Mack. Alrighty, so we have Mark asking, um, why are kilt belt buckles designed with that fixed piece that the that the belt loops go through instead of being a movable piece that makes them, he's saying that it makes the buckle sit on your belly at an angle and it drives his o OCD nuts. Is he talking about the bar then? I'm yes, I know exactly what he's talking yeah, about. Yeah, okay, okay. <clears throat> on the back of a kilt belt buckle, <clears throat> there is a bridge on one side and then a, a big hook, a wide hook on the other side. So a kilt belt, you pass the leather through the bridge and double it back on itself and connect it either via Velcro or an internal buckle. And then on the other end of the belt, there's a D-ring which connects to that wide hook. Now, the it is an advantage. I'm going to go. In, I'm going to answer your question in a second. It's an advantage because once you've velcroed the inside of the belt at the right spot, you just literally wrap it around you, and it's going to hook to the proper tension. 
versus a, uh, a buckle with the two prongs or one prong where you actually have to, you know, put it into a hole on the belt. Now, the problem that he's describing is on the back of the belt, the bridge sits lower or higher, as it were, than the hook side. So the problem is when you sit, put the belt on, that side, the right side or the left side, depending on the manufacturer, of the kilt belt will sit more proud of your belly than the other side. So as you look down at the kilt belt, it's kind of tilted out on one side and tilted in on the other side. That is a known flaw. Most kilt belt buckles have this flaw. The only way that we've kind of counteracted it minusculely, that's a word, right? Sure. Minusculely? Sure, yeah. yeah. Um, We've counteracted it a little bit in the buckles that we are actually having made specifically for us is we move the hook part of the buckle in a little bit more towards the center by about a half inch or so. So the other side of the buckle that normally comes back a little bit more sits on the leather of the second side of the belt, not like the, the metal ring area, whatever. Um, so, the, but that being said, there's not a lot you can do about it. Yeah, not really. You're basically, you're taking a bridge and then you're putting a piece of leather, you know, thick leather if it's a good belt, in front of the bridge. And all of that is coming off of your body by about half inch to three quarter inch and on the other side it's only it's only coming off about a quarter inch so you have about a half inch difference between the two yeah um i will say this from the aspect of someone who has seen it worried about it tried to counteract it and deals with it who has that same kind of ocd as you say um you're just gonna have to suck it up there's not a lot you can do about it um, there's, yeah, outside of building up the backside of the buckle on the hook side, uh. it's just, it's going to be what it's going to be. So you just have to accept it and move forward with your life. Um, don't lose sleep <laughs> over it. Don't try to, you know, re-engineer the wheel. I've done my best as somebody who's concerned about it to try to fix it. Um, but it is what it is. Every buckle that we get from every manufacturer that we get them, has the same kind of issue. Yep. Yeah, there's, sorry. there's yeah. Sorry, not sorry. It's, no, it is it's, what it is. Sympathize, yeah. definitely sympathize. Yeah, oh yeah, sympathize. Yeah. Not even empathize, sympathize. Yeah. I see it, I know it, I hate it. Not much we can do, bro. Cool. <laughs> Mr. Mac. All right, so we have uh, Philip, and we have a few other uh, members on here talking, or uh, viewers, on here um, asking about Eric's tweed kilt. Um, so a couple of them are asking if it's similar to the Northumberland check, if it's different, if like how is it just a standard check? You know, can... It's basically, it's actually um, kilting fabric meant to look like tweed fabric. So it's, it's a tweed pattern woven as, uh, I guess that means it's worsted, worsted right? Wool, so it's yeah. woven as worsted wool. Um, and it's basically just, uh, you pick this one out. I inherited this from him back when I started with the company. And uh, it's uh, it's just a nice looking, nice looking tweed pattern. It is now that, now that you mention it, it does remind me of Shepherd's Check quite a bit. Um, it's very very close, yeah. But it's not meant to be anything other than look casual and and estatey, you know, just look country, you know, ru- rustic. Yeah, it's it reminds me now that you said that it actually reminds me of the Burns Check 
because Burns yeah. check is black yep. and white, and then it has a little thin brown stripe in it. Yeah. So that's what that kind of red stripe reminds yeah, yeah, me yeah. of. Yeah, no, I was thinking that, and I wasn't articulating it. You're right. Yeah, no, it's, it's the Northumberland is Shepherd's check. It's yeah. It's what Burns is. You're very very similar to. Yeah. yeah. True. Absolutely. Right. While we're on the topic of tartans, today I have on the McEwen Modern Tartan. Um, one of my or my you know my mother my grandmother's side was McEwen, which is an Irish variant of McEwen. So. That's why I have on the McEwen tartan today. Cool. Nobody asked. Nobody cared. Yeah. You haven't worn a I, modern palette kilt in a while. No, I don't have many modern palette kilts. Yeah. Um, most of the time, when for me personally, when I'm drawn to a, a tartan, it's usually either very, very different, like Isle of Skye or the County Dairy or like something like obscure or a Kildare um, and not a normal one. Mm-hmm. I'm not normal. Um, or weathered or muted or that kind of thing, like earthy palettes, because I like yeah. them matching them with tweed. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't, I don't often do the modern tartans. Yeah, but that's a very dark one. Yeah, so yeah, cool. It's a black watch variant, just like most. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool, so. Mr. Mac. All right, so we have Lord Mac Kent <coughs> asking, "What shirt is the easiest for a great kilt?" Uh, he wears great kilts every day and wants something every day? easy. That's what he's saying. Dude. He's wearing it every day. Okay. Uh, he wants something that's like hard wear, a hard-wearing shirt that can be worn multiple times. Without washing? I'm well, going to assume there's going to be a, I'm hoping some he's, washing in there. Okay, okay. Multiple times. But yeah, it's... Um, the... Anything. Yeah. Really. Well, if he's wearing it with a great kilt. You want something that looks more antique-y. Or, you know, yeah. Something a bit more 19th to 18th century, I'm yeah. assuming. Yeah. Highland shirts, okay, they're not historically correct, but they, they fit the aesthetic. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. The grandfather shirts are kind of where I've landed, and the, you know the company, <laughs> through me, has landed on like a cool-looking aesthetic that is quasi-historical, um, and it's just got a good feel. Um, grandfather shirt meaning like uh, you know the band collar and then a st- you know a, a dozen buttons you know on, in on the a, first on a ten button, inches on a button placket. Yeah. 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 Um, the yeah, I'm trying to think what else for uh, a, a, a great kilt that you'd wear daily. If it's the daily thing is what's throwing me because I'm used to people wearing them um, either just not caring about the rest of the outfit, like uh, our friend John up in uh, Massachusetts who basically wears great kilts on a regular basis, and um, he just wears whatever modern clothes he wants yeah. with them. Um, or it's people who are doing it in a more historical or fantasy context, like a reenactment or a Ren Fair or SCA or something like that. So if you want something that kind of has that rustic antique feel um i would go with either a 18th or 19th century work shirt um i one of our uh, company we admire because they're kind of on a parallel course to us is townsend's they're a sutler company they have a good selection of uh, work shirts you might want to take a look at if you're planning on using it on a regular basis like and, and you want something hard wearing go for linen um our grandfather shirts another reason we like them a lot is because they're actually a linen uh blend, blend yeah. fabric so it's very comfortable, but also <clears throat> really tough. Uh, you really can't beat linen for, for this stuff. So that's that's probably how I would go. Um, I would advise you to try shirts with buttons. Don't necessarily go with the lace-up front shirt. Um, it gets a little too costumey that way. Might be nice to have in your wardrobe for sometimes, but there are going to be times when you don't want that, you know, I walked out of a Scottish romance novel cover kind of a look. You might want something a little bit more... Um, practical looking yeah like he, he said he's looking for more something more period correct yeah yeah I, I would check out townsend's for sure the other yeah. thing i'd say is um probably if you're 
if you're going to wear them daily and they're not cheap, I'd say wear an A-frame undershirt um, mm. underneath them just to kind of absorb some of the sweat and oils and yeah. kind of, you know, keep you cool down there. I will say when you said a period correct work shirt, I'm thinking like ye old Dickies brand <laughs> or well, work, work clothing. That's going to be, that's, that, I don't know if that's the kind of look he's going for. No, um, no, no. I'm, very, I just, yeah. Oh, that's what you were. Okay. Yeah, you're marketing right, yeah. ye old Dickies. Yeah. Well, that's because you're a 90s <laughs> kid. So yes, it's, absolutely. it's all about Dickies. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, but that's, oh, and uh, Gentleman's Emporium or Historical Emporium. Um, I won't vouch for the quality of what they sell there, but they do have a variety of shirts as well that are historically inspired, shall we say. Um, but that's that's how I'd play it. And, yeah, uh, and try a couple of different ones, you know, change it up. And unless you are literally like, you know, on the Royal Mile reenactor or, you know, that's your full-time gig and you're a docent at a museum and that's how you want to dress, I'd say just just get something that's like inspired or looks like it could be historical. It doesn't have to be actually historical. So like I wouldn't necessarily wear a t-shirt with a great kilt, but if you wear a grandfather shirt or even a Highland shirt mm -hmm. to that point, it still looks like it would go that way to 99.99% of people that you're going to interact with on a daily basis, unless you're a reenactor. Yeah. Or it's a, there are some shirts out there that which are modern shirts, but they have a softer line to them. Um, so they wouldn't look odd with the, the soft lines of a great kilt. Um, I'm thinking like uh, flannel shirts. There's some flannel shirts out there which do not necessarily have the breast pockets on them. Not flannel as in plaid. No, but flannel as the material. <laughs> Usually flannel shirts are sold in plaid, but there are solid color ones also. Yes. That might be a great option for winter. You know, just a nice flannel shirt that's just a solid print, or not print, a solid color uh, without the pockets. That'd be, give you a basic shape and uh, not look too crisp and too modern, but be comfortable. So now I'm just thinking like a confused homeless lumberjack <laughs> wandering the streets with a great kilt on and a oh, plaid shirt maybe oh, argyle hose man. too oh, yeah man. no it's well if you're gonna go on you might as well just go all the way if you're gonna go Absolutely. go yeah yes. or get one of those some of those 1850s printed uh shirts that are popular Ooh. with like the skulls and crossbones and the flags mm -hmm. and the little flowers on kind of stuff. they had some crazy shirts in the 1850s really really like obnoxious or, or like cowboy shirts and you know yeah like go with some bib fronts yeah, yeah. absolutely no, I think we're slightly off topic. I think we're off topic. I think he's. Slightly. I think he's got some ideas. Rabbit holing yeah. a bit. Yes. I hope that helps. I'm, if if you're getting these outfits together, send me pictures. I'd love to see what you come up with. Not of the plaid flannel shirt, though. Yeah, no. <laughs> Mr. Mac. All right. So Mike has uh, two questions for us. Uh, um, one is it he's asking is it better to leave a kilt pin on a kilt instead of removing each time he wears oh, it? That's a good question. And he's also asking can a stag uh, horn skin do be used for formal wear? Um, a, can it be, I'll start with the second question first. Can a staghorn skin do be used for formal wear? Yes, in the way that 99% of people don't know what they're looking at. Um, if that's all you have and you're at a wedding where you're the only guy in a kilt, have at it. If you're going to be in a room full of guys in a the kilt, then the proper skin do to wear for formal is going to be a dress skin do not a daywear skin do. There's basically two categories, mm -hmm. daywear or dress. Um, daywear skin do is either going to be a like a, a light wood handle with a leather scabbard, you know, cheap kind of leather scabbard, or a horn skin do or that kind of thing. A dress skin do is going to be black, uh, effectively resin or, you know, a, a black wood kind of thing with a metal shiny bit on the top and maybe a jewel. That is a dress skin do. So there's some 
Some skin dudes that kind of split the difference. Well, they'll have a lighter color wood with a jewel on top and some shiny bits. Um, but at the same time, it's your mileage may vary. It's kind of the semi-dress of skin dudes. So that. What was his other question? His other question was on, uh, is it better to leave a kilt pin on a kilt instead of removing it each time? Sure. The kilt pin on a kilt, you when you when you put a kilt pin on a kilt, it's either going to be a stick pin, like a big, long, you know, two-inch or so pin with a swing arm kind of clasp, or in the case of our, uh, our, our, our new kilt pins that we've done, we have two individual, like, lapel pin with a butterfly backing on them so that it's two pins stabbing through the kilt. Um, I don't know if that'll show up on camera. Don't be lifting your kilt on camera. <laughs> Only the front apron. The, um, so you can you can leave it on. What his concern is, is that if the more you take on, you know, pull off, take on, pull on, you know, whatever, it's going to create holes in the kilt. Um, I don't think you need to leave it on. It's, there's, there's two times when a kilt pin could damage the kilt. One is when you are poking the pin through the fabric, and the other time is when you walk past something and it tries to, it gets you know, tugged on. gets tugged on. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So if you are careful when you put the kilt pin on, what I'd suggest is hold the fabric flat against your hand and stab the pin through your fingers and the fabric at the same time and kind of twist the pin as you're going through to work it through the fabric. If you just stab straight through with no, you know, no pressure on the back, that's going to have a chance of pushing one of the threads out and kind of screwing up the kilt a little bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing is you just have to be very careful when you're out not to get it caught on something. One of the reasons why the the Fenrir kilt pin that we did and the Mjolnir kilt pin that we did have the, the two straight pins on the back with little butterfly clasps is because it lays flatter against the front apron of the kilt. So the flatter it's laying, the less chance it's going to have to get caught on something. Yeah. Um, I would generally agree. I personally uh, like to leave my pins on uh, on a fair percentage of my kilts. I have favorite pins that go with certain kilts. I tend to just leave them on. Um, so I'm, I'm doing that piercing function less often. Uh, but it's just like we, we always say, you know, two Scotsmen, three opinions. So um, uh, your mileage may vary. I like to leave the, pin, the pins on the kilts. The, uh, but How yeah, dare you, sir? I know. Well, How I, dare you? Uh, sorry, um, but the uh, I lost my train of thought. The, uh, <laughs> damn you, sir! Damn you! Um, my job. Yes, it is. So your mileage may vary. Um, I would say, but I would say, yeah, basically making sure the pin goes through goes through the weave of the thread rather than piercing a thread and and you know poking at it is is a is a very good point. It's a very good tactic. Um, now, if I may. Jumping back to question number one, one and a half. Um, the exception, I would say, for that antler skin do would be if it has a cap. If it has a silver cap on it, you know, basically if it's a crown uh, from from the horn and there's a decoration on it, that looks that looks a little snazzier and it looks a little more like you know, like an artisanal kind of a thing. If it's just the horn, it's a little too naturalistic for a formal event. Um, it's a lot of time you kind of think of formal events as having more crisp clean lines, not naturalistic lines, so a, uh, an antler, a raw antler kind of skin do looks a little too natural and chaotic, if you will, for formal. Artistic? Yeah, well, no. Artistic. Well, I think, I think yeah. If, you, yeah, if you put some, if you put some bling on it, then it becomes yeah, yeah. artistic. 
So, and there are well, some... no, like the natural beauty of the thing. It's more natural, not mm, it's more it's more wabi sabi refined. So it's wabi sabi. Yeah. I'll throw some Japanese. Wabi sabi. It's a Japanese thing. Don't worry about it. Okay. So anyway, that's my opinion. So no, it's I'll 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 agree with you on that. I'll I might say. Well, they do know. make some that have the clan crest in the crown. Like yeah, no, and crown, I'm so. I'm picturing ones with like a, a big uh, uh, silver cap, like a big silver mm -hmm. cap, like inch long silver cap on the top yeah. of a uh, uh, an antler skin do. So I I see what you're saying there. To me, if it was just like a a, a flat polished bit on the top of a skin do or on the top of a top of an antler, I would kind of see it. Again, kind of like no, semi-dress, no. okay. where it's it's dressing it up some, not to the same level, but it's it's fancying it up a bit. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll give that one to you. Okay. There you go. I win. Never. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Very good. Mr. Mack. All right, we have Tim asking us, how can he measure a kilt that was gifted to him? So he's got a kilt. Oh, he doesn't okay. know the measurements of it. Okay. How can he get the measurements? Is he trying to, does he is he trying to wear it himself or um potentially or he maybe uh, give it away or sell it or sell it? Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Measuring a, a kilt is a bit tricky depending on the material, depending on a lot of different things. Um, a very very rudimentary way to measure a kilt is take you know take the kilt, lay it flat. Now, well, let me start over. <laughs> a rudimentary way to measure the kilt is you have to keep one thing in mind. When you actually wrap the kilt around yourself, you're A, stretching it, but B, you're also taking up uh, uh, room where the aprons overlap. So it's kind of adding a little bit to the dimension. So that will make sense in a second. Lay the kilt flat on the front apron side where there's fringe, go to the middle hole on the strap. So if they, you know, there's generally about five holes on this kilt strap, and you're gonna to go to the third one. Start there, measure across the top of the front apron, about an inch and a half, two inches down from the top, and then go to you know, the other end of the apron, measure across the pleats, and you wanna keep sure, or make sure that the material is pulled taut while you are measuring. Measure all the way to the far buckle, um, basically where it would match up when you're actually wearing a kilt, and find where the swing arm, the, the tang, hits the square edge of the buckle. So you're measuring from the middle hole of the strap, across the top, all the way across the pleats, to the far top buckle. Take one inch off of that measurement, and that should be about the waist measurement for that kilt. And again, you're taking one inch off because when you actually circle the kilt up around yourself, you're gonna lose a little bit where the aprons overlap. For the length, it's actually, you know, for the, for the hips, effectively the same thing. Um, although the hip measurement is generally, the hip buckle is generally about eh, two inches above the actual widest part of your rump, but it's, again, it's an approximation. The waist measurement is typically a little bit more important than the hip um, in that aspect. For the length, you're going to measure in two spots. You're going to go to the front apron and measure from the very, very top to the very, very bottom, and that will be the overall length of the kilt. You also want to measure in the pleats somewhere, like the top of the middle back pleat, let's say, from the very top of the top waistband straight down to the bottom of the of the uh, bottom of the, the bottom of the kilt, um, you want to be concerned minorly that the back, when you sew up the pleats, it's actually 
squishing up the fabric a little bit. So sometimes the back measures a quarter inch or so shorter than the front apron of the kilt. Um, Mac, do you have any other thoughts to add to that? Aside from going into rise and drop and all that kind of yeah, thing? Yeah, no, I think simpler, simpler it is, the, yeah, keep the it easier simple. it is. Yeah. yeah, if you're trying to just get the measurement so you can easily impart it to someone you're giving it to or, or you're sell trying to it sell on eBay, it to yeah. And, yeah, on eBay, then, then just, yeah, keep it basic. Yeah. I will say this. What is the difference? Hey, Mac. Yes, Rocky. What's the difference between drop and length? I'm so glad you asked, Mac. Let me explain it to you. <laughs> a lot of people use the term drop when they're actually referring to the length of a kilt. They're using the term incorrectly. Drop is the section from basically the from your hip bone or, you know, right on the side of your body, which should be in line with the center of the top buckle to the bottom of the kilt. The rise is the section from the center of that buckle to the top of the kilt. The rise on a kilt should be effectively straight up or down or actually even taper out a tiny bit. Most people don't. Usually it's just straight up and down. And then from there, that point, the center of the top buckle to the bottom of the felt, which is the widest part of your rear end, the material should kind of taper out a little bit and then come back in straight on the last inch or so. So it hangs down straight from the widest part of your rear end. Effectively, it should be straight for two inches, angled, for about five inches and then straight for about an inch is effectively how the top of the kilt should be. Hmm. You'll notice it most in the front apron, the tapering in the front apron on either side, whether on the side by the, the fringe and the straps or the side that's actually sewn to the pleats. You'll notice at the very top, it should go straight, then angle for about five inches and then straight again for the last inch or so. That's the difference between the drop and the rise in the length. Drop, which is about six inches, plus the rise equals the length. Or no, excuse me, that's the fell. Yeah, drop is from the center section of the top buckle to the bottom of the kilt. So if you're a 24 inch kilt, that's gonna be about 22 inches. The rise should be about two inches. Drop plus rise equals length. And now you know. That was very detailed. I'll try You're to welcome, find, Mac. I'll try to find I'm some happy good you graphics asked the question. Yeah. <laughs> yes, next, Mr. Mac. So I, Actual Mr. Mac. Yes. Um, so we have a question that came in asking about a fly plate. Um, a specific fly plate? Yes, just, just, just one of them. Just attacked him in a dark yes. alley. Okay. The uh, tactical fly plate. Tactical fly plate? Okay. <laughs> okay. How's the, webbing? I have a joke about that. Um, he said he knows it takes place of a great kilt for formal wear. But is it acceptable to wear a great kilt for a formal setting, or maybe even with a waistcoat and tie? The I've seen people do it. Has it been done? Yes. Has it been done well? In my opinion, no. The I've seen them. Some people love wearing a great kilt. Some people want to wear it and want to make it work. It is not. It's not really formal. You'll see. Maybe some older, you know, pre-Victorian pictures of guys in fancy jackets with a great kilt on. Um, And that's, you can kind of make it work-ish. But in 2019, today, or really from the 1920s through 2019, 
for the last hundred years. Um, Probably like 120 years, in my opinion, but go ahead. Okay. Um, <clears throat> no, it's not really done wearing the gray kilt formally. You can kind of make it work. Can you wear a day sporin with a Prince Charlie? Sure, you can kind of make it work. Is it correct? Is it traditional in the sense of the, the, the recent traditions, recent history, meaning the last 100, 120 years? Not really. Yeah, um, I certainly wouldn't do it in Scotland. Um, here in the States, you know, anything goes to some extent. Uh, if you really want to try and do it, uh, I would choose a jacket combination, which is not angular. Uh, go with a antique style uh, jacket, like a Sheriff Muir or a, uh, a shorter jacket. Yeah, or a Montrose doublet or something. Um, yeah, because it's, um, as we've alluded to before, um, like when we were talking about skin dues, the difference between a formal look and a casual look is usually how angular and crisp and refined the lines are. A great kilt is a big mushy shape, whereas most formal wear is meant to be very crisp, very precise. Um, think about the lapels on a Prince Charlie jacket, you know, it's very crisp. Um, so maybe if you choose accessories and stuff which are more rounded, like a Brian Baru jacket or something like that, or like I said, like a Sheriff Muir. It still but, has the tails. It would get in the way. And yeah, kind of I, a... I wouldn't recommend. I wouldn't recommend <coughs> it honestly. I yeah, you're you're but, forcing uh, it. Yeah, it's it's it doesn't feel like it wants to go together. It feels yeah. like you're forcing A and B together, and it's just coming out with a Frankenstein's monster kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I like to try and give people a chance to experiment if they, if their hearts really in a project. I agree. But but I but I in this case, I I really don't think it's a very good idea. And it's so. it, ultimately it's. These are just two guys' opinions. You know, we're going to give you a bit of a traditional slant to it, but it's not, you can still do it. I won't come after you, I promise. Um, <laughs> but it's it's something, it's just, you know, it's not something that's done. So you can do it if you want to. You can wear Birkenstocks and white socks with your kilt if you're German and you have to. But I'm still going to tell you I don't like the look of it. So... Don't take it personal. It's just our opinion on it. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. I hope that didn't ruin your day. Hopefully I still not. love you. <laughs> Mr. Mac, you have any more? Uh, should we just have one just? We just have one that just came in. It's, uh, John is asking, is there a style, and this might be more of a Lucas question, is there a style of bagpipes that are better than the other, like Highland or Small Border? Does one sound better than the other? Oh, I think we can answer that. But um, I'd say Highland bagpipes are the most popular. Um, so de facto answer is probably the Highland bagpipes. Um, even in St. Patrick's Day parades, they're not playing Illin pipes. They're playing Great Highland bagpipes. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those where it's not, uh, it's just personal preference. It's not anything, it's what your ear likes the sound of. It's the Great Highland Bagpipes are probably the most popular. There are brands that are more popular than others. Some of them have great marketing. Speaking to our, our context earlier, there's others that are smaller companies that don't have a lot of marketing, but their sound may be better to your ear or to someone else's ear. But I'd say Great Highland Bagpipes. Let me uh, let me try and channel my inner Lucas. Lucas, for those who don't know, he's our resident bagpipe instructor guy. <laughs> um, so what would Lucas say? <laughs> Lucas, okay. Speak to us beyond the spirit realm. <laughs> from beyond the we sales have room. We um, From beyond the bagpipe cleaning desk. Um, squeegee. Yeah. <laughs> the Ouija board. Okay. There are hundreds of types of bagpipes in the world, at least 
dozens. Um, every nation in Europe, at least, has had a couple of different versions of them. They all have their own sound. They all have their own style of play based on the cultural context that they evolved in. So, in terms of, like, the loudest, the Highland Pipes, the Great Pipes, they're called Great because they are a very powerful instrument. I mean, there's a reason why people use them as signaling devices. Um, it's a different sound and a different tonal quality than something like an Illin Pipes or Border Pipes, which are meant to be more of an interior, indoor space, kind of a mellow instrument. So, the answer is, you can't really rank them like there's one type of pipe that's better than another. Um, they all have something to offer. If you want something that's brassy and strong and makes you feel like you're standing, you know, in a glen and listening to the echoes, then you're going to really enjoy the sound of uh, great pipes. If you want something that's a mellow sound, like you're sitting in a parlor drinking whiskey, then parlor pipes or illin pipes is going to make a lot more sense. Or medieval um, pipes? And, yeah, you know. medieval pipes, if you want something that sounds like, you know, you're about to go out and slay trolls, I know a lot of people. Uh, German pipes. German pipes sound like German pipes. You know, it's like, you know, very... Yes. very they talk like Arnold Schwarzenegger all the time. And then Italian pipes sound like goats for some reason. Yeah, but it's, it's, you play um, me now. <laughs> you play me. Practice um, today. So Lucas would say if you're into the instruments, you got to collect them all. If you just want to listen to them, then uh, you got to listen to them all. I mean, I've, I found beautiful music made on all kinds of different bagpipes. Um, my personal favorite is going to be Highland Pipes. But uh, that's, uh, they're, 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 most of them I think are about as flexible as the others in terms of the, um, the, the notes that you can play. I think that's right. They're the, the individual note, yeah, yeah, there's only like nine notes on most pipes. Um, there are some exceptions to that with some of the European ones where they actually have two chanters, like double chanter things going on, I guess. Like but double uh, kick drums? Yeah, yeah, basically. Sp for, if you want, for speed metal It's for pipes, speed metal you know, backpipes, yeah, but, exactly, yes. Um, and we're being goofy here, but the point is um, I wouldn't try to rank them. They're all, they're all amazing instruments in their own right. They are all special flowers. Right. Right. Okay. Great Highland Pipes. They're the best. Okay. Mr. Eric, we'll take some of the prefab questions. Yeah, I could do that. that I we could were do that. asked pre-show. And as always, thank you, everybody, for uh, giving these giving these to us. A couple yes. of these uh, are from last time that we didn't get to last time. But uh, let's see what we can do here. <clears throat> uh, John Davis asked us, he said... Uh, my pleats go haywire, like from sitting on them, you know, the wrong way or from driving. Um, I'll usually try to fix them by using a light steaming from a garment steam cleaner. You know, like one of those handheld things, mm -hmm, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'll hang it from a shower rod, uh, basically to let each pleat, you know, hang down individually and uh, uh, then steam each one till it's straight. And then he likes it to let it air dry fully and... Uh, he says it looks great after he gives us that gives it that treatment, but he's worried that he might be damaging the wool in the process. Is it possible to oversteam your kilt, or is he is he is he being too aggressive with with that kind of treatment? The I no the you're fine. No steam is fine. Steam is a great way to clean, disinfect um, things. You know, yeah. reset wool, kind of you know, take some of the little wrinkles out of it and that kind of thing. Um, your mileage may vary, but you know that's that's why they use steam irons. That's why we use a, a boiler ironing system here at the shop. It's steam. You know, steam and pressure equals you know creasing or flattening or uncreasing, as it were. Um, so yeah, no, you're not hurting the kilt. Is it possible he's going to decrisp his pleats if he steams it too much? Yes, because you're not you're just putting... using a hand, like just using a hand steamer as opposed yeah. to pressing with an iron. Yes, because he's not 
pressing the pleats. Okay. If you're going into, basically the steam is just, the steam and the heat are just kind of relaxing the fibers. So the pressure of an iron is what's actually giving it a crisp edge. But if all you're doing is just steaming, you're actually relaxing the the, the creases that are already in there. Mm-hmm. That's why it takes the creases out. So if you're getting too close to the creases, you're going to end up over time with like barrel plates where they're not a nice knife edge. They just kind of round and go back into each other. So steaming for quick fixes is fine, but once in a while you want to actually press it with an iron. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Steaming the front apron, and I would say this as well, um, just your body heat and just moving around in a kilt is going to kind of relax some of the wrinkles out of the back. Yeah. Um, the the more important thing to steam, because that's how most people see you coming, is the front apron of the kilt. So I would steam, and, and that generally gets a little okay. bit more wrinkled um, up Basically, yeah, at where your you know your belly meets your legs or your thighs as you kind of sit down um, in the creases, basically behind the sporin and the upper portion of the kilt, that's where you're going to get more creases from sitting and standing and sitting and standing. Hmm. So, okay. steaming that area is probably a good idea. Okay, cool. Absolutely. Should I do that one? Yep. All right. Uh, Brandon is a truck driver, and he's looking to get into kilts for daily wear. He wants to be a serial kilter. You like that? Yes. You like that? Serial kilter? We are now using the term, by the way, serial kilter. So somebody who wears a kilt on a regular basis, whether it's daily, whether it's as, you know once a week or as much as they can, serial kilter. I'm not going to use it all the time, but... I will. It's okay. a, it's a, it's a okay. cheesy pun, joke it's kind cheesy. of thing. Yeah. That's me. Okay, cool. I'm anyway, Brendan may be interested in being a serial kilter, and he's a truck driver. Um, he's looking towards going PV because, you know, ease of use and all that. Um, what are our suggestions for getting in and out of a semi and also keeping the pleats crisp in the process? Sure. I mean, a semi, that's different from getting out of a car. <clears throat> yes. Um, it's, it is and it's not because you're, you're, you're not sitting down in, but you're getting up and then getting in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I would, I would make the same suggestion whether it's a car or a semi. Um, a, a quick life hack, as it were, to wear your kilt in a vehicle, whether it's a truck that you have to jump up into or a car you sit down in, is get a bath towel or get a, uh, a beach towel. Just leave it on the front seat of your car. When you go to get in the car, take the beach towel, wrap it around yourself wearing the kilt while you are standing. You know, connect it in front, you know, tuck it into itself, whatever. Sit down in your car, you can turn your legs sideways and the bath towel will keep everything kind of tucked around you. Then when you are seated in the car, undo the towel. Boom. And then when you go to get out of the towel, just leave or go to get out of the towel. When you go to <laughs> go to get out of the car, leave the towel on the front seat. And that way when you come back to the car, you know, repeat the process. That will keep your pleats effectively straightened while you are driving. I, I can see that. I think it may be uh, uh, a thing he's not going to want to deal with all the time, getting in and out and in and out, like if he's just stopping at a truck stop or whatever. But um, but that's a that's the ultimate technique because that's a tool. Um, barring that, you're just going to have to perfect the the pleat sweep. You know, basically you can keep your pleats in pretty good sh- shape just by learning to basically lift your butt. You know, keep your feet braced on the floor, lift your butt, and 
sweep your pleats a little bit, you know, as you get settled in the seat before you're ready to buckle up and start driving. I assume you buckle up. Um, that's that's basically it, you know, between that for usual use and then the, the towel trick, if you're really worried about it or, you know, special occasion in the truck, I don't know. Well, I'm thinking but, more along the lines of it's the, the pleat sweep is, is fine if you are, uh, it's, it's not going to be perfect. It'll be true. Good. True. Um, if you're going a short distance, it won't matter because you're not going to be in the car for hours on end. Yeah, if he's doing like local deliveries, maybe it's one thing. But if he's doing cross country, that's yeah. If I'm other. driving cross country, I want to be comfortable. Um, I understand why you have the kilt on because yeah. you can just you know have an air vent there. Um, but at the same time, <laughs> so you get the Johnny bottle in. Yeah, just... but but the sacrifice is you are sitting on a lump of fabric, and if you don't sweep it correctly, you're going to be you know adjusting the yeah. back of the pleats more or trying to adjust them and if you have material seats versus leather it kind of grabs the fabric a little bit and it's more difficult to yeah. to actually sweep them and adjust so it depends on how many hours he's planning on being behind the wheel yeah basically if it's gonna be all day then you might want to do the towel thing yeah now <clears throat> in case you meant like um modesty getting in and out of a semi since you're climbing up uh and you're worried about up breezes or something like that maybe you're just gonna have to practice you know it's uh yeah, Mac, you're nodding at me. Yeah, I mean, my, my dad was a was a truck driver for years and, and still drives uh, rigs. So yeah, okay. getting up and out of the truck, you, get, you do get a tend to get that updraft, especially when you're you're okay. going between other rigs if you're pulling into a truck stop or something. Yeah, like that. yeah. So that could be interesting. Yeah, you end up um, looking like a lot lizard. <laughs> and, yes. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, if you're worried about it, there's always the underwear thing, but that defeats the purpose of being comfortable while you're driving. It's part of the advantage of driving in a kilt. Okay, he, he is. He actually, Brandon is actually on here, hey, Brandon, and cool. uh, hey. he's um, is worried because he is a long distance and, and okay. for modesty. So yeah, so he's yeah. a long distance okay. trucker. Yeah. So then um, the towel would be good for keeping the pleats looking nice. The um, and modesty at the same time too. It's yeah, a little bit more difficult. Every time you to, get in out, I don't know. I don't know. Does he have to pee every three miles? I don't know how how, how often he gets think, in and out of the um, truck. I think you're gonna have to try it at home, and it may depend on what kind of footholds and the shape of the doorway opening. Everything is on your particular truck. Um, if you change out trucks or something like that based on the job, then maybe that's not as helpful. But if you have your own your own truck, then I'd assume that you can get used to where there are good handholds and how you can kind of spin strategically as you get up and out. Um, I have occasionally been in vehicles where I wanted to make sure that I was facing forward when I exit the vehicle, as opposed to having my butt showing when I exit the vehicle. That's probably going to make you feel a lot better, especially if you have a sporn on, because, you know, if your butt is to the, yeah, if your butt's to the cabin, then if you do get an updraft, you're not going to, nobody's going to see anything, and your, your sporn is going to keep things down in the front. Um, that's probably the best advice I can give. Um, as always, it's going to come down to some experimentation. And yeah. it's, the, the other thing I'll say is, if you're... If you are wearing underwear, then who cares? You're wearing underwear. So somebody, you know, saw a flash. You could flash. also say if you're regimental, who cares? You know, but. No, well, yeah. Well, it's. I'd be a little bit yeah. more concerned about, you know, kids and, you know, people walking past <laughs> if I'm regimental yeah. in the truck. But if I'm wearing underwear and I get out of the truck and someone happens to see my underwear, it's all my underwear. It's not the yeah. end of the world. Yeah. It's not that much different than a pair of shorts. Mm -hmm. So. Oh. It's, it's definitely worth trying, though, because I, I, I can tell you, long long distance driving in a kilt, a lightweight kilt, maybe not a wool one, uh, can be very comfortable. It can yeah. be really nice. So it's worth it's worth checking out. So Well, even yeah. if wool, if he is wool this way, if he does uh, he has a sleeper cab, he's got a blanket there, too. 
<laughs> great kill. Uh, yeah, there you See, go. Yeah, go. yeah. Great See, kill. As you guys kept saying, sweep the pleats. Now I'm having the the picture of uh, of Karate Kid instead of sweep the leg. It's now sweep sweep the pleats. There you go. There you go. Sweep the pleats. <laughs> sweep the pleats. Wax on. Wax off. Sweep the pleats. <laughs> Eric's on. That's a Ooh. thing. That's gonna be a thing now. Sweep the pleats. Love it. Remember, sweep the pleats. We have to, now. We have to get you know, Miyagi. We need a clip of Miyagi. I, I want us overdub to... vocals. <laughs> Sweep the fleets, or just the fleets. I want. I want you. <laughs> I want you in a, in, a, in a kilt doing the crane thing. The crane thing, yeah. With That's... underwear on. Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, um, let's not you with a sporin. I, I... Don't wear a sporin <laughs> if you do the crane kick. You will hurt yourself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Maybe you could use a sporin like nunchucks though. Two sporins on a chain and just kind of like do that. Hmm. More of a mace effect. Yeah, it would be more. <laughs> yeah. Of a, yeah. Um, Brendan, I wish I could give you more solid advice, but that's basically what I would try. See if you can turn so that you're facing away from the cabin or the cab rather when you get out of the truck. You know, that might be the, the best way and just figure out where your handholds are so you don't have to think about it every time you do it. I will yeah. say this, a random aside. I don't wear... A sporin. If I'm driving long, you know, long range, more than you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, I will generally take my sporin off because I find it more comfortable to just have be without sporin. Yeah, but easy enough than, to clip it back on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you're in a truck, you know, you have to do the whole back arch thing and try to clip it around. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. It's, hopefully, hopefully, we'll figure it out. Absolutely. Good luck and Godspeed. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna do another one. Yes, please. Uh, all right, Tim. Was saying that he's just starting to think about getting into kilts. Uh, he's got varicose veins in his legs, and so he basically has to wear one of the knee-high compression sock things. Um, yep, yep. I guess on at least the one leg. Um, <clears throat> he doesn't want to look ridiculous. He's worried that compression socks are going to look dumb with a kilt. What ideas can we offer him about how to help that? Um, first thing is medical issues take precedence. So form follows function. If you Need to wear compression socks, wear compression socks. Yeah. Period. Um, the the only thing I would say to help camouflage it, if it were as you were, um, would be a, uh, a pair of, we have like cotton kilt hose. Those will give a little bit more um, or get a pair of maybe wider kilt hose where it's, you can wear two layers or just regular kilt hose. Just be aware that your shoes will be a little bit tighter um, if you have to wear Oh, do compression socks go all the way down to the ankle? I think it depends on the foot. It depends on the model. I think some are mostly, they're almost more like an ankle or a leg brace kind of a thing. They don't okay. really have a foot. Um, there are others that definitely go down and cover to the, the whole foot. Yeah. yeah, especially I think the ones that, like for dealing with diabetes issues or something. Okay. Um, but yeah, I think the cotton hose would probably be really good. Um, and I would say the kilt hose are probably going to fit fairly normally because a compression sock does that. It compresses. So, you know, the hose, is, it's not like you have this really thick layer that the hose are going to also be stretching on top of. It's going to be pretty close to your skin, the compression part is. Yeah, it also you know? depends. Did he say he had diabetes? He did not is specify. That... He okay. said varicose veins. The Fair, varicose veins. All right. If, well, I'll take it around and answer somebody else's question who didn't ask. Um, if, you have, if you have large legs, if you're a larger guy, um, then the regular kilt hose on top of the compression socks may be a bit much you're compressing a lot um maybe i don't know if they make lesser like compressing but like medium light heavy compression um if they have different levels of compressiveness i, I, um, I assume they probably do but i don't i don't know 
Yeah, then in that case, you may want to wear a lighter compression if you're also wearing socks on top. Okay. Um, just okay. to keep some kind of circulation going. Mm -hmm. um, but my default would be the cotton hose. Yeah. Because <clears throat> they wouldn't, Me you too. wouldn't, you'd be less likely to overheat. Um, and they do stretch and they look pretty good. So. Yeah. And worst case scenario, they're cotton. So you can, you know, pull them a little bit to yeah. help loosen them a touch. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Very good. Yeah. All right. Um, this is one we could wind up getting into a long discussion about, perhaps. Uh, Us? Never. <laughs> yeah, Lynn uh, is making the comment that, I'll put it this way, he says, uh, it seems like his kilts kind of multiply like rabbits in his closet. Says, uh, how did I start off with a hiking kilt and end up with like a dozen kilts hanging in there? Inquiring minds want to know, do kilts multiply on their own in the closet? If you are a serial kilter, uh, um, you basically the way I kind of came into it and how I end up with 40 plus kilts in my closet is it's a positive feedback loop. The hmm. you, you finally get up the courage to wear a kilt and you go out in your kilt and you get a lot of positive feedback from the opposite sex, you get a lot of feedback from the same sex, you get a feedback from everybody about how awesome it is, and all of your fears of oh my god, people are going to think I'm weird, people are going to say things, I'm, I'm going to be, you know, beaten up or whatever, and then you find out it's not true, and you figure out that, oh my gosh, people actually really dig this, and people are, like, thinking I'm awesome just because of this. And you're comfortable. And, well, yeah, well, I haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. But the positive feedback loop of you look great will make you want to wear it more, and then the more you wear it, you're like, I can't just have one, I like that one too. And gee, I maybe should get a utility yeah. kill. Yep. And I need yep. a red one because yep. I have all modern color tartan. And I need one of these. And oh, that one looks really neat too. And this one's a special occasion tartan. So it's you end up just kind of collecting things and yeah. just like Lay's potato chips. You can't have just one. The more you get into it and appreciate it and dig it, and especially if you have an addictive personality, you want to get <laughs> more of them and you want to have options. And yeah. if you're a clothes horse, it's there's a lot of different reasons why you can kind of get into it and jump in with both feet, as it were. Yeah, I mean, kilts are more fun than any other clothing out there. You know, it's it, they're inc incredibly comfortable, incredibly flexible, versatile, and there's a huge variety of them. You know, from from the whole spectrum, including the contemporary down to the bluffo traditional. Even just with the traditional, you got all the tartans. So it's just a lot of fun, and yeah, it's. Uh, and there is something we said for wanting to have a number of them so that you're not putting excess wear and tear on any particular one kilt. Um, I mean, I have a few that are favorites I wear more often than others, and they're they're starting to show it. You know, they're starting to get a little worn around the edges. Yep. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, there's all kinds of rationales for collecting them. But in the end, it's just like collecting swords or guns or minifigures or whatever. It's a collectible, fun thing to have, you know. So, yeah. It's, you uh, know you're. You addicted. just need a bigger closet. That's the problem. You know you're addicted when you have a tartan that you love, and it's been discontinued, or not even discontinued, but you're afraid you might eventually wear it out, so you get another one of the same tartan, or yeah. you have a five-yard <laughs> wool kilt in a tartan. And you're like, you know what? I also need an eight-yard, and uh, yeah, I, I may need a vest in it too. Yeah. You sound like you speak from experience. I have no idea what you're talking about. Fun. <laughs> I only have one of every tartan that I have. Right. Yes. Right, right. I have fabric. Like I have 
County Kildare, the County Crest Kildare, um, is discontinued. And I have a kilt in it. And I have fabric sitting on the shelf for when that one runs okay. out. Okay. I kept the last of it so that I get to make the last one. There you go. <laughs> Slight advantage there. Yeah. Yeah. So just, you know, pace yourself. Pace yourself. No. But it, don't pace yourself. Okay, don't pace yourself. Do all of it all the time as fast as possible. And send us all your money. Well, that too. But We joke about there being, we should have a kilt of the month club. I, I swear it's, it's it's like that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It's But yeah, man, just enjoy it. Yeah, enjoy life, it. Life is short. Exactly. As long as you're not mortgaging your home. You know. Yeah, but, well, even if you are. No, but <laughs> <laughs> it's going to a good place. My son needs to go to college. Um, no, we'll get this building repairs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have this small, we have a small, building, yeah, paper small building project going on. No, but it's life. You're right. Life is short. Enjoy it. Do what you want. Do what makes you happy yeah. within reasons that you're not, you know, sacrificing other things that make you happy, like, you right. know, eating. Uh, but right. at the same time, enjoy it. And if you dig kilts or if you dig whatever you're into, whatever your hobby is, whatever you're affectionate towards, have at it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, this whole culture is nothing if it's not about passion. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. Lean into it. Well phrased. You're welcome. We are nothing if we're not about passion. Right on. Can you do another one? Yes, please. Okay. All right. Kilt storage. Uh, Jim was saying uh, <clears throat> he doesn't often hear people talking about the method of hanging the kilt on a peg using the two loops which you find you know, in installed in, in, yeah. a, in traditional kilts. Um, <clears throat> he, as far as he knows, that's how Highland regiments tend to store their kilts when they're in the barracks. I, I have no data on that. But um, is there any potential problem with storing a kilt that way, long-term or short-term? Sure. I believe he did get some answers to this on the uh, Kilts and Culture Facebook group already, but happy to chime in anyway. That sounds like a wonderful group, Eric. It is a wonderful group. Tell me more. Well, golly, we have something like over 8,000 members, which has now made us the largest kilts group on the web. 8,000? Eight th- over 8,000. 8,000, you say? Yes, yes. Wow. And I encourage all of you guys who are sitting back and watching to go ahead and post because, um, you know, like any group, it's going to be better the more people are lending variety to it. So, um, yeah, get in there and dive in and enjoy. And if you haven't joined yet, sign up. Come on in. The water's fine. We got one rule. Well, not one. We have nine. But the number one rule in the group, don't be a jerk. Yep. That's it. And it works. Yes. What was the question again? Uh, <laughs> a lot of traditional kilts come with those little, uh, the loops. little loops. Yeah, it, yeah. Can you actually store a kilt <clears throat> on those? And I want to throw this to Mac too, if he knows if, from a historical standpoint, if they well, ever. Rocky, get first because we did have a customer just recently in the store that was that was talking about something very similar. Okay. So I'll see where Rocky is with the first. Go sure. For it. Okay. The uh, in a <clears throat> traditional kilt, a lot of kilts made in Scotland. We don't do it in ours, but a lot of kilts made in Scotland. Um, on the inside, on the far right and far left, basically either side of the pleated section, there's going to be a little cloth loop um, that will stick out above the top of the kilt. <clears throat> you can use those loops when you hang up the kilt. If you connect it like you're wearing it, you can hang them on a traditional you know, shirt hanger. They have the, like, the little um, uh, notches on the top for like, you know, women's, you know, strap or little strap dresses. Yeah, women's skirts have loops like that in them too. Yeah. Exactly. It's kind of similar to that. Um, The problem is, in a kilt, uh, they're a lot heavier of a garment. And if you hang a kilt from those straps, and you hang it for an extended period of time, you're going to end up with what's called pleat splay, S-P-L-A-Y. 
where the pleats just kind of, instead of hanging straight down, there's no support up at the top when you're hanging them on the loops. So they kind of, you know, the top of the kilt kind of sags, and then the pleats kind of do this. They spread out at the bottom, and then they end up kind of sitting in your closet like that for an extended period of time. And if you only wear your kilt once every year, once every couple years, you're going to end up having a slightly deformed kilt, or the pleats will hang a little odd across the back. It won't come from the widest part of your rear end and hang straight down. It'll kind of hang a little cattywampum. Yeah. Um, the the kilt hangers, or the way that we suggest people hang a kilt if you want to hang it, is what's, you know, you, what we actually sell are kilt hangers, which have four clips across the top. That way, the kilt is supported the entire way across the top. Therefore, you're less likely to have it sag and have the pleats splay issue. Mr. Mack, did you want to add to that? The What I was going to say is we had a customer come in the store. Um, he has one of our hangers with the, the four the four grippies on it. The um, He had an eight-yard uh, premier kilt. So with the weight of the kilt and traveling, it fell off the hanger. Oh, so okay. what he was, oh, was considering okay. was trying to figure out if there's a way that he could use those loops to go over the hanger as he's putting the hanger on it to be able to, to kind support of as a it there yeah. as kind of a backup. Okay. I mean, that's really the only time that I would see anything like that as far as traveling goes. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, I've seen some images, again, I'm really, really speaking from military war one, war two uh, period. Um, some images of them wearing, of them on a hanger like that, but a lot of times they're just kind of folded laid flat, and, and yeah, laid folded. flat. Yeah. Yeah. Do they fold or roll? I've seen laid flat for the okay. most part. Okay. Yeah. The the luckily, you know, slipping off the hanger isn't something that we experience a lot of. Yeah. If it's a very, very heavy kilt or a very big guy, or the fabric is if it's been dry cleaned a lot and kind of loses any yeah. you know grippiness and it's like kind of gets slippery over the tenth or twentieth time dry cleaning, um, then I could see maybe. Um, in that instance, generally I tell guys use two of the hangers um, so that you're actually supporting yeah. the weight on the back. Which is what um, we suggested for him to do then. Yeah. yeah. yeah the, I agree. the only time that I suggest using those, you know, two little cloth loops on the inside of the kilt is if you're in a public restroom and you have to go number two and you want to take the kilt off and hang it on the hook on the back of the door. That way you're not getting yeah, you know, your kilt in the on the back of the toilet or in, in any kind of mess that's in the public restroom. The uh, the one other use I've put them to was once or a while once in a while I have hung used those loops to hang up a kilt on a hanger or a bar even uh, in a hotel room while I was drying it. Like if it was sweaty, damp because of me being out of the festival or dancing at a wedding reception or something, and I just you know I just wanted to air dry. It's kind of like oh I can hang this right over the air conditioner you know and, and let air dry. But that's like Fair. a very temporary yeah, yeah, tool. Yeah. I certainly wouldn't do that at home. Now, yeah. that being said, I will say, A, if you're going to do it, only do it temporary. Yeah. B, but that is a worse, potentially worse time to do it because, because it's wet. Yeah. It's wet yeah. And it's, right. it's warm and it's wet. So, so I'm, now I'm, it's I'm increasing sagging. The you're increasing yeah. okay. the likelihood in a short period of time. I probably shouldn't do that, should I? No, like, when, I, when I go out you know, and you know, you know, end up at a wedding or whatever and you're sweaty... <clears throat> at the end of the night, I'll just lay it on the back of a chair, open. Yeah, yeah, so and I've done that. Out. I think that's yeah, I've done that too. It's your you have the advantage in hanging it of getting the air to both sides versus yeah. laying it you know on the back of a chair flat. Yeah, I'm kind talking of thing. like a half an hour. Yeah, up, but, but. yeah. 
Yeah, so, but that's why we don't include them in kills that we make. It was just, um, I think they're, they're a survival of when people were buying a kilt and, a and, and, yeah, and getting it for special occasions only, the way you do in Scotland a lot of the time. And, uh, and yeah, they just, they are kind of assuming, everybody's assuming you're going to hang it on a skirt hanger, the way women hang skirts on skirt hangers, so they provide the loops, because that's what you do. But, um, yeah, it's kind of kind of outmoded with modern spring clip technology. Yeah. yeah. Or just lay it flat, or roll it. Yeah, so. I agree with that. Yeah. Okay. Um, I do not... Okay, this is a geeky one for you, and, and this <coughs> will chew up the last... 20 minutes of our discussion. So I almost hesitate Mwah. to do it. Yes, Mwah. you. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to give you a chance to really nerd out here. <clears throat> I do not have the name of the person who asked this. However, follow me for a second. We we all know that tartans are recorded by color and thread count. Right? Yeah. Okay. It's a basic code of the thread count and the colors. So if you scale the thread counts up or down evenly... Does it then become a different tartan? Here's an example. Like, say, tartan A has four lines of blue, two white, six green, four red. Okay. If you if then you double those if you numbers. then so you have eight blue, four white, twelve green, eight red. Is it a different tartan then? This actually will not take twenty minutes. Oh, okay. This will take thirty seconds. Oh, it really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Nope. All right. It's. And thank you for watching. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Good night. Um, no, it's not a different tartan. If you are proportionately scaling a tartan, it doesn't matter whether the scale is one inch or 24 inches. It's the same tartan. Um, set they, size increases. The set size will uh, increase. Okay, okay, yes. Okay. The tartan, it's it's more about the the look of the pattern. And it, when if you if you design a tartan and submit it to the Scottish Tartan Registry. Um, the, they will basically see if it looks like anything else that's already out there and it has to be different enough. It's the enough. Um, in U.S. copyright law, the rule of thumb, for lack of a better term, is about 10%. It has to be changed enough so that I'm not confusing it with something else. So, similar kind of th guideline, roughly-ish, in uh, Highlandware and Tartans, is that it has to look different enough from another thing. Okay. So just making the tartan bigger doesn't make it different. A a Lamborghini matchbox car and an actual full-size Lamborghini are both Lamborghinis. It's still going to look like it's a Lamborghini. It's going to look like a Lamborghini. Okay. That's okay. the point. Um so in that aspect, it won't really it won't matter whether the, the set size is tiny or big. Um now to make it different if you are and and I'll even go so far as this. You said, like, if it's four green and they change that to eight green. Yeah. If you change all, if you double all of the things, but you change from four to ten green as opposed to four to eight, it's still oh. not enough of a difference okay. just by altering. You have to have a reasonably, reasonably visible alteration to make it a different tartan entirely. Okay. Um, if from ten feet, a tartan, you know, aficionado, will recognize it as black watch just because you, you know, made one thread one different, it doesn't matter, it's still black watch. That's not good enough. Mm. Um, this is I'll I'll bring in a, a story where um I was disappointed was that uh, two two stories. There was 
I, I told you. you. I told you this would take 20 minutes. Okay. I'm making it take 20 minutes now. Um, I designed a tartan called the German Heritage Tartan. And there was a mill over in the UK who designed, held, held a contest or something to design the, the the Great Scott Mac. Do you remember what the name of it was? I was trying the to remember The Greatest it right Scott now. or the Great Scott Tartan something or something like, like that. that. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the design that won was literally the German heritage tartan with like one color changed. And I was wow. furious. Wow. Um, and called the mill or, and it's, I saw it come through the register and the mill had it, you know, in their offerings. And I was just like, really? That's close enough to be its own new tartan? And they're like, yep. So wow. the register passed it and I was furious that something that similar to my design was accepted. Um, another one I'll point out was the, uh, uh, the the restaurant chain, the Tilted Kilt, have their own registered tartan. They basically oh, took yeah, okay. Royal Stewart, and there's a white line and a <laughs> yellow line, two, a white and yellow stripe in Royal Stewart, and they reversed the lines. It still looks exact. I think that's what they actually did. Mm. Um, it still looks like Royal Stewart, but they copyrighted it and they got it in the register for something so simple. They just flipped two of the minor stripes in the tartan and they got it passed. And I think that's complete BS. That is, they took the most recognizable tartan in the world aside from Black Watch, changed two minor things, changed nothing else, and it was registered. Wow. That's horse hooky. Wow. That's, Um, uh... Yeah. Wow. So, point is, you have to change it has to be changed a reasonable amount. Changing the set size isn't good enough to make an entire new tartan. You have to change elements of the design. Or apparently, in the case of my copy, one element. Wow. Yes. So sorry. But I'm, you know, not angry about it at all. I'm not bitter. It's only eight years ago. Yeah. (laughs) Brought up bad memories. Very good. You'll get by. Mr. Mack. All right, so we did have some questions about the building, how the new construction's going. So I didn't know if you, since we're so sure. a little time, if you wanted to just do a little. Sure. Construction is going. Um, <laughs> Ta-da. Coughing up concrete dust on a daily basis. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's uh, working. I don't know anyone out there who has worked in a construction site during construction, not on the crew, but tried <laughs> to do things in the construction site. Um, it is difficult like anything there's challenges uh but ultimately we're getting there uh currently second story is up the roof is you know all the framing's done the the rooms are all framed out all the wires are run um the roof is on oh all the electric wires <clears throat> all the electrics mm-hmm. run okay yep they Good. just uh cool. they started running the the lines for the upstairs electric awesome yesterday i think um so we're getting there the it's going to look awesome when we're done we will have a grand reopening even though we're not closed it's a you know, just a big party. Yeah. Um, so we will, you know, keep you guys updated on that. But yeah, it's we're getting there. It's it's a challenge. It's the 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 staff, the kilt makers have put up with a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, so so have the sales guys, guys in the warehouse. It's been yeah. It's trying been pretty to hear, rough. Trying yeah. to hear customers on the phone with jackhammers going yeah. off and people, you know, cursing and screaming. You know, construction workers are you know you know drilling things and you know screw guns and whatnot. Um, yeah, it's. It's challenging, but and, at and the same time, I'm happy that we're working here during it 
so we can make minor adjustments on the fly, like that outlet needs to be there, or oh, I forgot, yeah. I need another thing over here. I think, the, yeah, I think the, uh, the uh, I think Kevin and the other contractors are probably somewhat pleased about that too, because if they have a question, yeah, they don't have to wait for a response or anything. It's just yeah, they're like, hey, Rocky, what do you think about this? You know, it's, yeah. it's communication is great, and, and we have a great team. The guys who are doing the work are fantastic. Yeah, and they so, were actually yeah. very, very. Uh, no, contractors are not used to working in a building where they're having to dance around the people that are working there. So the fact that they even allowed us to stay in the building while they're doing all the renovations is key. Yeah. Um, the one thing that uh, the, the on the fly decision that I've made that I was probably the, the most pleased about um, did yesterday was, hey, we need a red light for outside the studio. So people oh, know yeah. if we're recording. Because um, okay. over here, there's no one in this building. Can we have a sign like Art Deco that says on air and it flashes? No, it was no? going to say okay. stay the F out. Okay. <laughs> stay okay. out. But Art Deco, stay the <laughs> <Yes>. fuck out. <laughs> the, um, so, yeah, in, all in all, the uh, construction's going well. We're pleased with how it's going. Should be done the upstairs the middle of July and then the downstairs beginning to middle of August. So, yeah, then we'll have the grand reopening at some point yep. a few weeks after that. Yeah, thank you for asking. Yeah. We really appreciate that everybody is interested in, in us doing this because um, it's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's really awesome. And without customers and people coming onto our channel, coming to the store, you know, supporting us, we couldn't do this and we couldn't do that. Yeah. So we so, really appreciate it. Yay. Yeah, and, and and one thing we may want to point out is that uh, in two weeks is would be is the Celtic Fling Weekend at the Pennsylvania Renaissance Fair, which we normally set up at, but due to all the construction and everything, we unfortunately yeah. will not be able to be out there this time around. But yeah, if you're your local peeps, yeah, sorry. Yeah, just come on and visit. Hubbub. On the other hand, yeah, we have a we have a tradition of people going uh, to big events like, um, you know. Uh, steampunk expos in Jersey or the PA Ren Fair or the Maryland Ren Fair or Pensick War or anything and basically making a detour to our shop to get that last minute kilt or that last minute sporn before they head out to the big event. So by all means, come in and tell us what adventure you're going on. We'll be happy to talk to you and help you out. Yeah. All right, we'll do one more from you and one more from the audience. Okay. The, uh, you want me to go first? Yeah, I okay. want to do the one somebody asked about the holes in the kilt. Yeah, um, I do that one. great. And again, this is someone I do not have their name, but uh, they had asked, um, they had noticed that there's a row of tiny holes in the bottom of the hem of the kilt, um, like like dot 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 dot, you know, little zigzag, little zigzag of, of, of punch holes in that, and they're wondering what what that's about. Sure. So, when uh, a kilt is different from most garments of clothing and most you know things, in that when you make a kilt. You're actually using the bottom edge of the cloth, the finished edge. If you buy suit fabric, for instance, you'll often cut the pattern or cut the pattern pieces out of the center of the fabric and not use the very edge. In a kilt, you're actually using the very edge of the cloth. <clears throat> when the cloth is woven at the mill, it's woven and then they take the finished, you know, the piece of fabric and they send it to the finishers. And the finishers heat the cloth, they, you know, they, they wet the cloth, they treat it, um, and they're basically setting it so that it's not going to shrink when you iron it and when you, you know, do different things to it. So they're, they're setting the cloth to its final, you know, resting they're place? They're solidifying it. Yeah, basically. solidifying the fibers to kind exactly. of mesh and lock together. You know. <clears throat> yeah, and part of that process is they actually put the fabric, these little hooks, grab the edges of the fabric, 
and they don't stretch it, but they hold it taut so that they can, you know, treat the fabric and wash it and, you know, do put it through its paces at the finishers. And they, they're actually putting it on tenter hooks, the little hooks that grab the edge of the cloth. The little, the little holes are from those tenter hooks. They are an artifact of the weaving process. So there's little kind of zigzag shaped holes running right along the edge of the kilt. Those are on, whether it's wool cloth, whether it's polyviscose, whether it's single width, double width, it doesn't matter. Those holes on a kilt will be there. <clears throat> unless it's unfinished, unless they, you know, just do like old-timey natural fiber, natural fabric, and they don't send it to a finisher's, which nobody really does yeah, nobody professionally. Does yeah. um, anyway, so those holes will not get bigger. They will shrink a little bit over time. They may disappear, they may not, but they are there as an artifact of the weaving process. It's not going to fray. It's not going to get worse. The only way to get rid of them is to hem the bottom of the kilt. Well, why don't and you hem the kilt then? Why I'm so glad why you don't, asked. Why don't you hem kilts? Just, <clears throat> just cut that junk off. The Because you, you want the natural finished edge at the bottom. The pleats, think about it this way, the pleats are one layer of fabric all the way down to the bottom of the kilt. Okay. If you hem it, you are doubling the thickness at the very bottom. Therefore, you're going to have a lump about an inch and a half or two inches up on the bottom mm -hmm. of the kilt. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that lump is more difficult to press. Um, you kind of have to press it from the inside. You want to make sure all the the tartan lines match up exactly, or else they end up skewing a little bit on the bottom. Um, if you iron it from the top, you can actually get a, a, a hot spot. You can actually shine the fabric right where that transition yeah. is from the thicker the thicker uh, layers to the single layers. So hemming a kilt is not ideal. Some kilts have to be hemmed. Some kilts come with a uh, uh, a lino edge or like a fringed edge on the bottom of the cloth that it's not a traditional kilting salvage so that you have to surge and, and cut the bottom off and then hem it it's not ideal but you can do it it's okay it, it'll look better than you know a, a fringed bottom but it's not ideal the ideal is to leave a nice traditional kilting salvage or a tuck-in salvage which is uh, uh, basically the, the yarn is uh, cut about an inch or a centimeter past the bottom of the edge, bottom edge of the kilt or material, and then tucked back in. <clears throat> Either one of those is better than a hemmed kilt, and all of it will have those little zigzag holes, but don't worry about it. They're nothing, no one is going to really see it aside from you upon very, very close inspection, and over time, they will kind of relax a little bit. You can uh, steam iron them a little bit if it really bothers you to try to get them to shrink up a touch, but it's not going to get worse. It just, it's one of those things where it kind of is what it is. It's how it is. Try not to worry about it. Okay. Cool. Mr. Mack, you look like you want to say something over there. No, I was just, you were right. You went hit all the notes that we, I mean, we hit it with the iron um, as we're doing it. And yeah, some of them do seal up a little bit better than others, but it's, I think more so it stands out on the PV a lot more than the wool for the most part. Because synthetic. Um, yeah, because yeah. of the material you're dealing with. Yeah. But yeah, it's... Yeah. It is what it is. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, don't worry yourself about it. <laughs> you Very good. More? The only thing I was going to say is now that we're getting into summer months, um, we're getting a lot of warmer months now. Um, we've talked about the difference between 13 and 16 ounce and, and, and PV. You know, is there any other tips that we can give guys that maybe they're 
getting ready. They're going to be going out. They're going to be sweating in the kilt. Any tips to help keep things cool, keep things relaxed, like aerated ice cubes? Yeah. <laughs> Air conditioner backpack with a tube up the kilt. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, no, it's ultimately if you're going to be wearing a kilt, whether it's synthetic fabric, PV, acrylic, whether it's wool, whether it's 16 ounce or 13 ounce, it to a degree, in my mind, doesn't matter a whole lot. Much more, what, what matters to me much more is your headwear and your torso. If you have on a black jacket or a black long sleeve shirt, that's, you know, a Highland shirt that's made of, you know, a polyester fabric, you're going to sweat more than if you have on a, you know, a white t-shirt or a linen shirt or something with an eight yard kilt. You're going to sweat more in a black Belmoral than you're going to be if you don't have a hat on or if you have a linen hat on or something like that. It's really, it's it's just common sense and your headwear and what you're wearing up top matter a lot more than what you're actually wearing in a kilt. Yep. In a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah. There's a certain amount of, uh, you know, a, a, a casual kilt that's four and a half yards or five yards is going to be a little bit cooler and a 12 ounce or 11 ounce fabric is going to be a little bit lighter than 16 ounce eight yard kilts. But it's of a the degrees of difference, no pun intended, are going to be smaller. It's it's really going to matter less. If I'm wearing a black jacket and a black hat with a casual kilt, I'm going to be hotter than if I'm wearing a white t-shirt and a linen cap or no cap with an eight-yard wool kilt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, that's it. Okay. Mr. Mack, any other final okay. thoughts, sir? Um, Questions, comments, concerns. No. You want more scotch? We, we still have what? How much of the bottles left over there? We got enough. Absolutely, we got enough. Mm-hmm. We got enough for me at least. Uh, like you guys. All right, there one more. Yeah, we'll do one more. All right, we'll make it an even two hours. Sounds good. Greg, Greg Murray was saying, uh, is it proper to wear a clan crest pin, or I think he means badge, uh, or other Celtic style brooch? His words, uh, as a uh, as a kilt pin. Okay, so like a non-sword shape. I think that's what he means. Yeah, basically yeah. something like round, circular, or, or yeah, oval, or, or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's personal yeah. preference. There's if there's a pin that means something to you, um, yeah, <coughs> you can wear an oval pin or a circle pin or whatever. Traditional, well, I shouldn't say traditionally. Most because I don't know how traditional it is, but most kilt pins that you're going to see out there are long and skinny. You're going to see a lot of sword shapes, a lot of you know. Tall, skinny things like our, our Fenrir kill pin, or you know, they're all our tall. And, pin. Our most kill pins are tall and skinny, not circular or not wide. That being said, there's nothing saying you can't do it. It's right. not the end of the world. People will not string you up by your heels and you know flog you for yeah. wearing a clan crest cap badge as a kill pin. Yeah, um, and as we often say, uh, if it's a round shape, you might want to put it a little higher up on the apron than down towards. Closer to the bottom hem, the way you do, or the bottom edge, uh, the way you do with a sword-shaped kilt pin, it just kind of looks more pleasing to the eye if it's a little higher up, uh, a little higher up on your thigh, closer to the hip. Um, and if you look at vintage photographs, you'll see is what people have done. Um, on the off, weird chance that he meant like using a plate brooch or something—that's too big. That's too big. Yeah. So yeah, a a a, a Celtic <clears throat> brooch like cloak brooch kind of a thing, not a good idea. 
Um, it shouldn't be any bigger than, you know, two inches. About two inches. If it's going to be a circle, I'd say two inches to two and a quarter in diameter um, is yeah. about the right size. Uh, you don't want it to overpower the front of the kilt. Ultimately, right. the kilt pin is just a little piece of bling, a little little art for the front of the kilt to give it some visual interest and a little bit of weight to keep it down in the corner so it doesn't blow up. Yeah. Um, you don't want to have a massively heavy thing on the front apron. And to that point as well, if it's a big, heavy brooch, it's going to hang, it's hanging most of them from a single pin that can actually pull at the wool fibers yeah. and create a bigger hole. So yeah. that's another reason why you don't want to do it. And it's not, you know, it's not a cod piece. You don't want to have a huge thing. <laughs> it's not a shield on the front of your kilt. Right, right. Yeah, right. It's yeah. meant to be an accent piece to the sporn and to your outfit. It's not meant to be a centerpiece. Yeah, yeah. There you go. I like that. I like that. I like phrasing. that. Yeah. yeah, that's good. I feel good about that. Yeah. Cool. Very good. All right, boys and girls, thank you for joining us. For those that don't know, we do this once a month, generally the first Friday of every month over on our Facebook page. Mm -hmm. And until next time. Hang on. Let's remember also that we've been a little off kilter with our scheduling because of the construction. Um, if we've thrown you off on your expectations of when to see our shows, we apologize. But we are trying to uh, make sure we're getting back to the first Friday schedule for the Q&As on Facebook. And then the, uh, was it the second week? Second Friday. Second no, Friday. Third Friday. Third, third Friday, Friday of the month. Yeah for our Exploring Perspectives show, which is naturally on YouTube, but uh, we do preserve everything so you can watch it elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. So we, two we, shows, two shows each month. Yeah, we cross-pollinate. Yep. Um, yes. So, for those of you watching this on YouTube, please subscribe to our channel. For those of you yep. watching on Facebook, like, follow, all that stuff. Share us on Instagram and, <laughs> and like and, us and, on Pinterest. And Instagram and, and... Pin us and... And Tinder. Yes. And, no, not Tinder. <laughs> Do not swipe right. Uh, which is the good one? Swipe right. Swipe. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm married. I don't do all this Yeah, I don't stuff. think. I don't think we'd sell many kilts there somehow. No. Anyway, it's been a long day. Yeah. Thank you for hanging in there with us, boys and girls. Yep. Until next time. Slanjava. Thanks for joining us, guys. Our podcast theme song is "Gold and Guns" by the Kilmain Saints. If you have a question for us, you can ask it during our YouTube live stream the first Friday of every month at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. If you want to get social with other kilt enthusiasts, go check out the Kilts and Culture group over on Facebook. You can also find USA Kilts on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, or over at our website, usakilts.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, Slanjava.